Hello, and welcome to the Blaze Experience. If you're joining us, today we are back to talk some more Sea of Thieves. And today is going to be a very special episode where we actually get into the lore book in Sea of Thieves. We'll be talking a lot about the lore book, and we'll be breaking that down and kind of getting into all the facets of it, characters, some of the teases and hints in it. But also, we have a special guest today, and we're going to talk about their background a little bit. Without further ado, I'll introduce my guest. My guest is one of the deckhands and moderators on the Sea of Thieves forums. Please welcome to the podcast, Kat Truwalker. How are you, Kat? Hello. I'm very pleased to be here. Thanks very much for inviting me. I'm looking forward to talking about the law book and everything else that's going to be discussed today. Yeah, thank you for coming in. It's definitely great to have you here. It's a real pleasure. No, we definitely appreciate it, and hopefully listeners will enjoy this. I hope so. I'm sure they will. <laughs> I hope so. Well, yeah, I figure we can kind of get into how long you've sort of followed the game. So if you <laughs> want to talk about that a little bit. Um. Yes, yeah. Um, well, I've followed the game since uh, 2015. And uh, I suppose there's a little bit of a story that sort of goes with that. I used to play a game called Pirates of the Caribbean Online, which was a Disney game. And um, it was, it was, it was, it was a good, it was an enjoyable game. I had a lot of good times on it. Um, and it's the only other game that I knew at the time that you could sail a ship with a crew of friends. Um, and Disney closed it in 2013. Um, and we sort of, the community sort of stuck together and we got together and we were on Facebook and we were sort of still chatting and looking for other games. And I think I saw the first, uh, the, the, like the concept trailer for Sea of Thieves. It must have been at E3 in 2015. I sort of looked at that and I thought, Wow. You know, I thought this is it. You know, <laughs> this this could be the next pirate game. Um, for all of us to get back on, right? Definitely. Um, yeah, and that was it. So there was just that trailer, and then there was nothing. There's no other news, nothing at all. Um, until I think I found the Reddit first of all. So I signed up for the Reddit. It's probably about six months, eight months later. Might even have been sort of 2016. I can't remember quite. Um, but so I, I sort of joined the Reddit and I sort of, we sort of got into chatting there, but, you know, little dribs and drabs of information came out and then, uh, then I found the forums and I sort of joined in there and was sort of quite vocal because I like pirates and, uh, interested in history. And I, not only that, but the, the whole sort of, um, I don't know the, the ethos of the company. I mean, I hadn't. I, I've never played rare games before. I've always been a PC gamer. Um, never heard of rare. Um, I knew Microsoft, obviously, and I, I just I liked what I read. Um, and I liked what I heard right. from the company, um, and I was you know, excited about the game and the potential for it um, and the people, the community. Then a great bunch of people. You know some really sort of mad conversations going on and sort of speculation and wishes and hopes and just, you know, a really pleasant place to spend your time, you know, uh, the forums in those days. So, um, yeah, so I, so I stuck around basically and got to know people and chatted and asked questions and put forward ideas. And then, and that was that really. So then I was asked to be a deckhand. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely sounds great. And I mean, 
I think you kind of touched on it a little bit, but it sounds like what sort of drew you to Sea of Thieves was you kind of had like a void of not having that pirate game anymore when the Disney game closed and that you kind of like like pirates. So is that kind of what drew you to it? Yes. Well, yeah, yes and no. Um, I mean, I, I, so I, I grew up um, you know, in a family who sort of spent a lot of time sailing and grew up with sort of sea right. stories. And I've always had a you know fondness for history um, sort of Tudor history, so you know that's always been a big part of my my life. Um, when my children were were younger, you know, we watched the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, and they were the actually they were the ones who actually found the game Pirates of the Caribbean online. <clears throat> and I used to hear them round the house. They were sort of age. They they were yelling to each other from room to room. You know, don't 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 do that. You know, fire fire on that ship over there. You know, right. come on, we're gonna. You know, and I thought, well, this sounds quite good. Yeah. So I thought, right, I'd like to get in on that. Um, so I did. You know, I made a character, and I I met some really great people. It was a really sort of quite close knit community. So you, you'd be running around this quite small world and you'd you'd see names you recognized and um you know guilds that you'd recognize and you'd sail with people and you'd sort of get chatting and yeah yeah some really really good friends and i and i when they closed it we were we were devastated because um we didn't we didn't get a lot of notice that um they were going to close the game and it was closed on talk like a pirate day ironically well, that's really unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a nice one. <laughs> nice one, Disney. Um, so, yeah, so, so yeah, it was, it was like we were sort of grieving. Um, and there was, you know, amongst the community, people were saying, like, okay, we need to sort of rejuvenate this game. We're going to um, rebuild it and release it. And they have got um, a remake of it, a fan-made version called The Legends of Pirates Online. But a lot of the community... Are still there playing it but um, a good portion of them have moved on um now and i i go back now and again and play it but see if see if these is in another at another level altogether uh, you know right. you'd, you'd have to sort of have a look at some of the old videos to realize but um that water you know what can i say yeah, the that water's water is amazing yeah you know the water the, the the feel of the ship the sound of the ship the the attention to detail even the you sky know, and the lighting is amazing too. That's right. The sky, the aurora borealis, the the, you know, the fact that you can sort of walk about the islands and the the plants move. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And you know, having sailed in real life, um, you know, a fair bit, it's it's pretty close. You know, the feeling when you're you know on the deck of that galleon and you're watching the water. You know, it's it's just so so immersive. You're just there immediately in the world with Sea of Thieves. Um, it's fantastic. So anything else sort of pales by comparison, sadly. <laughs> no, definitely. And I mean, you can just kind of get sucked in sometimes because I know there's times where I'm sailing and I'm just kind of admiring the you know landscape before me and admiring the water and stuff. And then all yes. of a sudden I'm like, oh, shoot, there's a rock in front of me. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a problem, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so drive right up the side of the rocks. But, but yes. But you and, you and do get sucked in like that, though. Yeah. You do, yeah. And and you can see from like the screenshots people have taken, you know, the sunsets. And it's like when you get the sunset, there's there's even down to the flash of green at the, the, the final moment when the sun sets. Um, and obviously that's 
a, a part of the Caribbean thing, but also that's a that's a real life thing. But for for rare for somebody at rare to say, well, look, the sun's setting. We've got to have that flash of green when it goes down. It's just it's just an example, one example of of that attention to detail. I think you know. Um, yeah, definitely. I I love everything about the way they design this world. I mean, this world is amazing. So yes, yes. Yeah, really Even is. the different regions are really cool. You know, you have the ancient isles, which is totally different from like shores of plenty. So I love how there's different regions like that too. That's right, quite distinctive, aren't they? And there's a, although between the the ancient isles and the shores of plenty, there's it's quite a subtle difference. So I sort of because I'm English, you know, I sort of think the the ancient isles is a bit more like the North Sea. Um, I suppose it's supposed to be like the Atlantic, but and then the shores are plenty right. a bit more like the Caribbean or how you'd imagine the Caribbean yeah. to be. So, but it's it, it when you've been sailing around the wilds for for some time to come out of that and go to Smugglers Bay and to be in that sort of beautiful Caribbean sunshine with the azure sea there is fantastic, isn't it? It's a great feeling when you actually get there um, out of that. So, yeah, so no, so all of that. Yeah, I think there's so much potential too to make you know more regions and things in the future. I mean, I know personally one region I'd love to see in the future is like sort of a snowy or ice region where it's cold. Yes, yes, and and so again, that's one of the things people have mentioned. They've talked about maybe more Oriental type regions. So again, in sort of we know there were pirates out um, in the China Sea and um, definitely in Asia around India, the Indian Ocean um in the 18th century so it's not too far-fetched to think that well maybe we might get something with an oriental flavor or asian flavor sort of drawn in joining the the world we have yeah definitely i think some of the teaser art like in the art book kind of suggests that they could go that route eventually yes yes the art book's it's quite amazing because it is you, you know you can it's it's quite easy to you know, you sit on, the, you read the forums, and you know, we read the articles, and they are really only a snapshot um, of what people are talking about. Um, but the art book really gives you an insight into all the different ideas that the designers have explored with Sea of Thieves. I mean, I was, it's funny. I, I took it to, sort of to work today, and I was looking. And some of the pages with the ship designs on, and they've got the most fantastical ships that they've looked at, that they've thought of. You know, ships with balloons, um, ships with sort of tiered, massive tiers of sails. Um, and, uh, yeah, like you say, the Asian ideas and all the different influences. So, you know, they have really thought about it very carefully, the design. And what fits with this game. Yeah, I think that's what makes it unique, too, is they put so much thought into it and actually made this world one that can last for years. Yes, yes. And and it's, you know, we, we've got the world. It's a, a fantastic foundation. And the potential is still there to you know, add more different layers, expand it, anything you like, really, I think. Exactly. But you did mention a little bit earlier that kind of you joined the forums and then eventually became a deckhand so do you want to describe like how that process went about like how long were you on the forums before you actually got that <laughs> yeah i can do i was um and it wasn't just me obviously um right definitely. i'd been on the forums for about sort of six months i suppose um i can't remember the exact date but um and there was you know a big group of sort of regulars um we'd, we'd sort of 
chat to people, we try to help people out and, you know, we just talk. And um, the guy who was um, in charge of looking after the forums at, at the time, Cameron, we used to call him Optical Matrix, he was known as on the forums. <laughs> um, he sort of just sort of dropped me a, a chat message one day and said, you know, would, uh, how would you like to be um, to help with moderating the forums? Um, when I was sort of taking care of the forums. I don't think he sort of officially called it moderating at the time. But, um, right. you know, I said, yeah, you know, I'll give it a go. And I was quite, I was quite surprised. I was surprised to be asked, I think very sort of you know, honoured and I thought I'd never done anything like that before you know I've I'm, I'm sort of been quite active on the Pirates of the Caribbean forums but um, nothing much else and then you know there was um, Runic and Jedi and um, you know the rest um, Falcon uh, was invited and sort of five of us initially and yeah we sort of uh, started looking after the forums i mean there wasn't really a huge amount of moderating sort of to do but you know we had some sort of ideas and tried to get it organized so it was easy to find things and um you know help new people out who came along and um and it sort of um the role sort of grew so we we, you know, we expanded so we added more deck hands to the list as well um liz and dill and it's been it's been a really interesting role uh, and really sort of quite satisfying to be able to sort of help out and um, follow the story as it's grown over time, you know, because the, the community now is absolutely massive. Um, it is, for sure. Lots, lots bigger than it was, you know, when we first started. Um, definitely. Which you kind of mentioned that, like, the role grew and stuff. I mean... When you first took the position, did you kind of feel any different at the time? Or, like, did you really understand what the role was going to balloon to as it is now? I had no clue. To be honest, I had, um, you know, having right. not done anything like this before, but but seeing moderators in action, you know, because I, 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 you know, being a PC player, I, I'm on Steam. And I've been on Steam forums. And I, <laughs> so I've seen what, what the forums are like there now, sort of quite sort of salty and quite um and we i think as a as a team of deckhands we always wanted to be quite involved with the community and because we didn't stop just because we we've taken on this role of um sort of deckhands didn't mean we stopped having ideas about the game things we'd like to see or um and didn't want to stop contributing so we were very very hands-on in the community yeah to start with but no, to I think the biggest shock I think when they started the insider program first of all I think that that drew in a lot of people, um, so extra people on the forums there were new people, um, so they needed to sort of find their way around and learn the etiquette I suppose um, because we've we'd always agreed that we wanted the forum to be, you know, a, a welcoming friendly place, and. With with smaller numbers and sort of people right. sort of sharing that ethos, it's it's it was fairly um, it's quite easy to maintain that. Um, but as it grows, you know, you get people from different places coming in, then different personalities, and you know, it it, it just changed. But you know, we we still always had that. That's, that's I think that's probably why the rules are quite 
quite strict, I suppose, on the forums. Um, but the yeah, the, the the huge numbers of people we've got in the community now is a is a big, big change. Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, it's definitely seems to have grown a lot since early days. So yes, and yeah, it keeps growing as the time so goes on. That, that's right. Yes, and I think I mean from the last podcast, I think that Rare did. They they were saying at the beginning there they were sort of blown away by the, you know, I think it was about 2 million players in the first two weeks after release. I think it was one of the figures that they quoted on that. I mean, that's... Which is just insane, yeah. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. It's absolutely mind-blowing, isn't it? So, so many people. I mean, it's fantastic to see, but to have to sort of scale everything up to, you know, to, to sort of help these people out and direct them and answer questions and... Um, all of that is hard work. Yeah, it's uh, hard work. But as you said, you said it was kind of rewarding to you too. So, like, what do you kind of like about the role? I mean, it sounded like you like sort of helping people. I do, yeah, I, <laughs> I I do like helping people. It's one of yeah, it's it's one of the things. It's the sort of person I am. I think I don't sort of. I'm a teacher, right. so. Um, I sort of work with special needs children, but yeah, I do like helping people. I like to see, um, I really enjoy the discussions, the enthusiasm, you know, the people who are sort of motivated, who, um, you know, reading the stories when people have had a fantastic session um, and they come and share the story. Um, something daft they've done, you know, the little videos where people have, the, the, the guy who, I think one of the ones, the guy who shot himself out of the cannon managed to get through the, opening at the top of the cave on Cannon Cove. I thought, flipping heck, how on earth do you do that? There, there was, there was the girl. That's crazy, yeah. Yeah, there was the lady who sort of managed to shoot herself right into the doorway of the tavern on Ancient Spires, I think it was. Um, yeah, it's just amazing thing. So so all of that. Um, and, and and meeting meeting all the different people, you know, um, yeah, from, from all over the place, different age groups you know the, the the wide range of um sort of ages we've got um of people on the forums the, the backgrounds the countries they've come from and you know that that enthusiasm for um for being a pirate for playing it up you know, in a pirate game um it's, it's it's just great to be a part of um i think so yeah so that, that that's that's what i do enjoy about it very much yeah it definitely sounds like it's very rewarding for <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i know like i think a lot of players kind of get confused at times when they direct criticism because they kind of feel like the deckhands like yourself are sort of directly in the know of everything that's going on with the game which i don't know if you can kind of speak to like I guess the best way to put it is like how much is actually shared with you guys. Like you obviously <laughs> don't know the entire future of the game. So no, we don't. We didn't. Right. <laughs> rare, rare have this have this saying, and they've had this all the way along, which they like to show and not tell. Right. Um, which I think is a good so way to put it. they don't tell us anything. <laughs> Sadly, <laughs> we get we don't have. I, I wish I had <laughs> access. Yeah, you know, and. Uh, um, they are very good at keeping things close to their chest, um, and I think the reason the reason they do that is because you know ideas change, um, sort of things don't fit in quite, or they think of something better, or um, they don't want to do this right now. They'll do it later on, and 
if you're out there and you say, right, okay, within the next month, we're going to have this, this, and this. And then for whatever reason, if you don't stick to that, then obviously people are, are going to lose trust in you, aren't they? They're going to think, well, you promised this and it's not right. there. What are you playing at? You know? So I think that they've, they've decided that they, they will show us, you know, it's like the picture of the new cosmetics, right? So we've seen those, we can see them in the picture. They're somewhere, they're, they're, they're coming, they're on the way. Um, and much the frustration of all the deckhands, we don't, <laughs> we don't get very much inside knowledge, if any at all. <laughs> so that's a bit disappointing for everybody to hear, I suppose, but yeah. No, so. <laughs> well, it, it's probably good in the sense, though, that like, I don't know if you personally have this, but I know some of the deckhands have kind of been sort of attacked as if they were employees about like negative comments. So, it, yes, I mean, yeah, so. I mean, we're so I suppose we're in a little bit of a difficult position because we're 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 volunteers. OK, we all have day right, jobs. Exactly. Yeah, we don't get paid for this. Um you know, we, we do it because we because we love Rare, we love the game, um, we love the potential it's got, um, and, and we love playing it. But we are we're in between, so we we we're sort of part of the community still because you know we have questions. I mean, Jedi's um, has a post on the forum of things he would like to see, um, or we would like to see brought into the game at some point you know so we're still at the point where we will speculate i mean when they teased well okay well what about things like jewelry what about things like skirts that are separate from dresses and what about corsets and you know especially liz and i when we get together you know <laughs> um those sorts of things there are still things that we we ask for that we would like to see in the game so we're very much part of the community still from that point of view but we do have, obviously, this this sort of closer relationship with Rare, which is which is very special. You know, we talk to them. Sort of, D is fantastic. I mean, they really are a very great bunch of people. I can't sort of emphasize that enough. You know, they are they are genuine. They're motivated. They're enthusiastic, um, and and very human people. You know, when 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 the community is disappointed that they they feel it um and, and we see that that side which you know perhaps members of the community the forum whatever they don't they don't see that um but then we we're, right. we're also in a privileged position because things that the community are concerned about things that pop up things that are being discussed we can pass on to rare we can say well look did you know that they're, they're very concerned about you know, being raided when you, when you finish the skull fort, or people are very concerned about um, being spawn camps, you know, or being thrown in the brig, or you know, probably less major things than that. But there are issues that we can bring to rare in discussions and sort of make them aware of, um, which is which is the good part of our role, I think. So. Um, right, you're kind of like an extra set of eyes that, like, you kind of yes. let them know. Okay, this is going on over here. So yes, so we we don't. I mean, because we don't want to be seen as, um, you know, disciplinarians because that isn't what our role is. Um, 
we're sort of we're just we go betweens, I suppose. You know, we want the community to be sort of um, you know fairly civil, you know, constructive discussions and all that. And we try and encourage that, and we we want to see the ideas. We want people to feel able to come to the forums and you know post ideas, however wild and wonderful um, they are. We don't we don't like to see sort of people being um, you know, labelled as, um, you know, this sort of thing or that sort of thing or to be insulted or to be diminished in any way because um, that that's not what the forums are all about. Um, but then, you know, we're also, I suppose, spokespeople for the forums, you could, you could say, in that we can pass things on and um, help to sort of move ideas forwards and let Rare know what, what the community is interested in. Because that's another thing about it, isn't it? Rare have always said that they were going to develop the game alongside the community, sort of, which is probably why the forums opens sort of so early um, in 2016, I think, um, so that they could do that. And they had the Insider program, the alpha testing, the beta tests that went on for a long time, the Pioneers program. Um, you know, it's bringing the community along with and the development of the game, um, and and they're still they're still listening. I know I know it's you know, people say they they're not all. Um, there's been a lot of criticisms, um, but you know it's not No Man's Sky, and and rare do listen and they hear what what's being said. So, right, and from where I'm sitting, I think they've definitely shown that. I mean, especially say just take the content roadmap. People wanted mm. more content, and then they drop this big content roadmap. So. They are definitely listening. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, nothing ever happens. I don't think, I think, I mean, one of the things I have learned, I, th I think, from the, all of this is that the game's development is a slow, a slow, long process. And right. things can't get, things don't get done immediately. They don't get done straight. It's not just a case of, you know, you go over here and you, you write a bit of code and you flip a switch and everything's sort of fixed. Um, because cause it's all it's all about the different systems, isn't it? And one thing depends on something else and, you know, another group of people over there. And if they do this, does it affect that? And, you know, it's it's, um, it's a complicated thing. But the, right, yeah. the community yeah, I mean, is heard. You know, that's, that's the main important thing. Yeah, I mean, kind of like you were saying, it's I don't know a lot about the technical side of it, but I definitely don't think it's where you can just go over here, press a button and then it's fixed. I mean, so no, it's no. definitely not that we'd, yeah, no, we'd like it to be that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but sadly, no, <laughs> no, it's not. But you did sort of mention um, one of the other deckhands had a thread about like things they wanted to see in game. What's yes. sort of one of the things you would like to see in game that's not in there right now? I would like fishing to be in game. <laughs> it's not a huge thing, is it? Um, I would like I would like fishing to be in game um, because ever I'll tell you why. Ever, ever since um, we noticed that around the world there are little stools, aren't there, on random rocks? I'm thinking of Crescent Isle here in particular. On the I think it's the southern side. There's a there's a bare piece of rock. There's a little stool, there's a crate behind it that's empty and then with a bit of rope in it or whatever. And that is a perfect fishing spot, you know? 
Interesting. And I didn't even see that before. <laughs> have you not noticed? <laughs> There's quite a few of these all around, dotted around us. It might be Smuggler's Bay, actually. No, I'm sure it's Crescent Isle. Um, and it's it's just, again, it's one of these sort of you know, little quality of life things um, that you're sailing around in your ship and it would be nice to be able to stop off at some place and just throw your fishing line over the side of the boat and, and, and do a bit of fishing, just sort of chill out and catch some fish, sell them to the merchant or cook them yeah, on I the agree. stove or, um, and, and, and things that like that, that encourage you to sort of linger. So I don't know about you, but when you play the game, but um, quite often when I jump in, it's okay, we've got a quest. We've got to put this down. We've got to head over here and you're off. And, once you're on that sort of trail of a voyage doing a quest, it's difficult to stop and slow down and just enjoy the world sometimes, you know? Um, no, I agree. And I think that's why I didn't even know about what you just mentioned, because I never stopped long enough to actually notice this like little stool that was sitting there. You know what I mean? No, I know. And I think it's, just, and I think you're not alone. I think a lot of people um, similarly, and uh, and I don't know why. I don't know what the reason is, but um, there's no need to, perhaps, or because they get on this trail of achievements and they want to level up, they want to get um, sort of the pirate legends. Um, but there are there are lots of little things on the islands that if you can take time and you just sort of wander about. There's there's paintings. There's you know strange objects in the caves. There's you know bits where you can dive down and um, you know, find little caverns under the water and um, just just to be able to sort of chill out, relax, do that, catch a few fish, you know, maybe read a book or two, um, sat on the beach. Obviously, someone's going to right. come along and sink you if they see you, but <laughs> you could you could scuttle your ship <laughs> and sit on the beach and read books. Um, just a, a nice change of pace, I think. It'd be a nice sort of change of pace. Um, yeah, and I feel like a fishing trading company probably isn't the worst, if I had to guess, because there's also, which I'm sure you've seen, there's been artwork that has actually shown rowboats. So it feels like there's going to be something like that where you can actually just go on a rowboat fish. Yes. Yeah, there has been, hasn't there? You know, even from that first, you know, the first images of the game we saw, you know, viewing the, the ship being attacked by the Kraken, they're in a rowboat, aren't they? Sort of right, looking, exactly. Um, out to sea, and then these rowboats are all over the islands. Um and they, they've, you know, um, propped up and some of them are broken, but some of them are in sort of fairly good condition. So if they're there, why can't we have some? <laughs> you know? um, right. and, and, I, and I wish I knew <laughs> whether, we, whether we're going to or not. But it, again, it, like you say, it suggests that at some point we might, you know, see a small rowboat or, or something. But yeah, so yeah. Fishing, I think, is probably the thing I would choose. Um, maybe dice, you know, a bit of gambling in the taverns. That's a, a little bit more complicated, I think. Um, yeah, that sounds fun too, you know, play some yeah. cards or whatever. So. Yes, yeah, or a dartboard or right. shove halfpenny, something, some old <laughs> tavern games, I think. In fact, because in the book there are, it does describe, doesn't it, quite a few. Um, right. When we get to that <laughs> later on, card games and such. But, well, yeah. it also makes funny moments too, where like 
say you're with a friend playing darts and then someone shows up and just shoots you in the back. It's like, oh man, <laughs> I was going to win the game of darts. I guess it's probably about 40% of the, of the community would not be amused <laughs> at that. <laughs> yeah, not good. Or arm probably, wrestling, but... you know, you, you lose your arm right. wrestling, the guy gets the pistol out and shoots you. Yeah, great. <laughs> But uh, yeah, all that sort of potential for for, for, for things like that, which um, yeah, just adds to the life of a pirate in the world, doesn't it? Definitely. Which I I can't wait to see. You know what comes next? I mean, I know when we get into it a little bit afterwards, there's some possible new trading companies that we'll talk about that came in the lore books. So we'll get into those too. Yes, there are. Yes, interesting things. But before we actually get into the lore book, do you have anything else that you want to, like, add about, I guess, your role or kind of how you came about this and your relationship with Rare? Um, no, no, other than that, I feel I feel extremely privileged to sort of be in the, the position I am now to be able to do this and, and be involved with, with with not only the game but the people uh the, you know the company the community um you know i'm not i'm just an ordinary sort of person who jumped into the forum and uh was quite passionate about you know what i saw there and um sort of very lucky to be asked to sort of take on a, a, a greater role greater involvement with it and i'm you know i'm I, you know, I learn something new every day. I'm just, I feel really very privileged to sort of be a part of it all. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great experience. I mean, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not young. I'm not a you know, YouTuber or a streamer or anything like that, <laughs> right. or you know, even famous on uh, social media. But um, yeah, no, it's been amazing. It's been, yeah. I wouldn't. I'm glad I said yes. Is what I could say. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said yes too. I mean, you seemed like a great presence in the forums, and you've been fun to get to know in the time I've got to know you. So, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> You're welcome to say so. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess we can kind of get into the lore book. But before we do, I just want to mention this for listeners. This is sort of your spoiler warning. If you are one of those people that doesn't like to be spoiled about things. You might want to just, you know, stop the podcast here, go read the lore book, and then come back because we will be talking about a lot of spoilers that are in the lore book. So if you're spoiler averse, definitely, you know, jump out here and then come back um, basically when you're done reading the book. But if you are going to jump out here, then uh, you can always contact the podcast at The Blaze Experience on Twitter. You can also contact us theblazeexperience at gmail.com if you want to email us so those are the ways you can feedback give us feedback but if you're jumping out here then you know thank you for listening so far and we will see you when you come back for the board book part but now we can kind of get into the lore book so basically the lore book is sort of split into two parts and basically there's the first part that is sort of Captain Flameheart's adventures, and the second part is sort of Captain Bell's adventures. So we'll go into some of Captain Flameheart's adventures first. So do you want to sort of describe who Captain Flameheart is as a character? Mm, Captain Flameheart, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, he describes himself, doesn't he? He says he's a scholar. And um, he seems 
to, I mean, he talks about he's, um, he's quite wealthy. He's obviously got plenty of money. Um, he studied literature, languages, fine arts, mathematics and philosophy. Um, thanks to his father. Um, he does mention he's, he's adopted, um, which I thought was interesting. And um, that he, he, he wants to go to sea and be a pirate, basically. He sort of feels yeah, like no, an unfulfilled part of him. Yeah, I mean, basically he mentioned that his father, who is sort of, I guess we'll refer to him as Flameheart the First. Mm-hmm. Uh, Flameheart the First is his father, and he made a name for himself, and he was sort of like a pirate legend who was really feared. And kind of, as you said, Flameheart the Second, he mm. basically is a scholar that wants to be like his dad, but he wasn't really... I guess, as you said, he was adopted, so it wasn't essentially his dad in the first place. His real father, he doesn't really know anything about, and I don't know if in any like future lore that we'll ever find out what happened to his real father, but basically all we're told is that uh, his father, Flameheart I, basically just says that it's not something you need to know about, and that's pretty much it. Yes, yeah. I mean, I'm sort of reading a little bit here. It's interesting, though, that his his father is in the real world, if you like, where Flameheart is before he sort of moves to Sea of Thieves, before he sails to Sea of Thieves. Um, right. But then his father also has a history in the Sea of Thieves, doesn't he? He has a, a place in in the Sea of Thieves. So he's actually been and come back um, and sort of spends nights telling his son all the tales and stories of the adventures he's had, doesn't he? Yeah, and basically from these tales, it really kind of invigorates his curiosity, and he kind of wants to learn more. So basically, I would describe him as someone that's like really knowledgeable about pirate culture, but he's not actually experienced. He doesn't have that real-world pirate experience, but he has no. like the knowledge of it from his father. Yes, so it's, it's like I mean, in a lot of ways, he's quite he sort of comes across as quite naive, doesn't he? Because right, um, you know, he has this this learning, this knowledge. Um, you know, he's a strong swimmer. He's an adept swordsman. He can do navigation, but um, sort of going down to the docks when he's got to buy his ship, he doesn't really know how to conduct himself or um, how to go about it particularly, and or how even to sort of relate to these sort of pirates um, sort of down at the dock in a way that they would feel comfortable talking to him about, um, you know, their, their own sort of stories and legends. Um, so that's, yeah, so that, that's, that's quite interesting. So he's obviously inspired. I mean, I like this line they've got here. He says, I have arranged to vanish over the horizon to retrieve myself. And that sort of reminded me very sort of strongly of... Um, you know, sort of Jack Sparrow and the Pirate of the Caribbean, and I think he wrote a note say, "I have, I can't remember what it said now, but some something very similar." One of the Popco, Pop, Pirate of the Caribbean movies um, about retrieving himself, and yeah, he's he's so he's got this burning desire to go and um, taste that world or be a part of that world and fulfil his inner pirate. Um, so to speak. Right, yeah. I mean, kind of as you were describing, it seems like he doesn't really 
he knows about the pirates, but he doesn't know how to fit in with them because like he goes to the bar and, you know, tries to talk with the pirates like, hey, you know, can you tell me your story? Like, I want to be a pirate like you kind of thing, pretty much. And no one will really talk to him because they don't trust him. So, no, I suppose in a way, I, I mean, sort of thinking about it now, you can almost sort of draw a parallel between sort of Flameheart and and a new player, couldn't you, in a way? Because... That um, is true, actually, yeah. Yeah, people who've never sort of... Well, there's never been a pirate game like this to play before in the first place. But, you know, we're all knowledgeable. We've all got experience of other games, um, you know, and we have also got in our minds this, um, I suppose, a stereotype of what what pirates are, what pirates are like, how they lived, what they did, um, you know, how they talked, what their stories were. But um, but we don't actually know. Um, and, that, that, and that's true not only from a, a literature point of view, but from a historical point of view, because there aren't, there isn't very much first-hand evidence of um, pirate life, you know, on the seas. So a lot of it's a lot of what we know nowadays is taken from you know, Stevenson and uh, Treasure Island and uh, Pirates of Penzance and Peter Pan, Captain Hook. It's been um, sort of romanticised, if you like. Um, and yeah, so I was thinking about it. He strikes me very much like that. He has this vision, this sort of stereotype of what pirates are like or even more what he's seen, but he doesn't yet sort of know or understand what what being a pirate actually is. Right. Now, I, and I think it's really a great parallel he made, too, with like a new player in Sea of Thieves, the game as well, because say there's really experienced pirates and a new player jumped into their crew, they might be using lingo that the new player wouldn't understand. Like, say they say, okay... Mm. Let's make an anchor turn. That new player probably wouldn't even know what that means. So no. if they don't know what that means, then they're not really going to fit in as well with that culture yet. That's right. And, and you know, there are plenty of people who've you know never been on a boat, never <clears throat> you know might might never have seen the sea, for instance. Um, right. You know, if you can start saying, well, port, starboard, main mast, you know, the sails, the bowsprit, the stern, you know, they're all sort of quite technical terms, aren't they? And sort of special right. names for different parts of the ship and, you know, being able to read a compass, being able to navigate, being able to read a map. Those are all, you know, skills that, that you know, we take for granted, I suppose, if we, we know how to use them. But not everybody, you know, has that sort of experience or, or learning. Um, and, and coming to the game must be quite difficult, I think, if that's your first. I mean, I, I remember sort of reading... On the forum, there were reports of people feeling seasick. Um, they'd never sailed, but the, the motion of the ship and the sea and everything was, right. was, you know, realistic enough to give them, you know, a feeling of Which motion crazy. sickness. That was that realistic, yeah. Yes, well, that, yeah, I don't know. It's very uppy downy if you're standing on the bowsprit, <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Um, and uh, you can imagine that, but um, yes, so it, it could well be quite mind-boggling. I think. No, yeah, and I think that's a great parallel you made because that's kind of how Flameheart is. Like, yeah. he knows his own personal experiences with what he believes pirates to be, but he doesn't actually know how to fit in with them. He doesn't know their terms. He doesn't know 
I guess, how they conduct business with each other. So that's right. I mean, yes, I mean, he comes from uh, always grown up in a society that um, most pirates rejected, didn't they? Because it it didn't it didn't work for them in sort of real life. Um, That society was, you know, if you were rich and you were educated, then then you were okay. But if you were some poorly paid sailor who's just been chucked out the Navy because you weren't needed anymore, it was, um, you know, another another story. Um, and pirates, sort of, uh, you know, historical pirates did develop their own, um, you know, their own way of doing things, their own culture, their own code of conduct, their own um, rules um, for living, if you like, and separate from what they'd come from, uh, the society that they'd come from. So, yeah, there's that as well. Right. No, I think Flameheart just, he thinks he's going to be like this great pirate legend like his dad, mm. but he doesn't actually know how to get there. So he's just looking for like, hey, can you show me how to get there? Can you kind of help me here? And yes. no one really wants to take him under their wing because they kind of feel like he's not really in their culture. He's not indoctrinated into it. Oh, so. he's, he's a bit of a noob, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> really definitely. I think is what they think. And what sort of accentuates that is the... The little sort of sentences that that you start to see in the book, the red text and the blue text from Bella Nura, um, you know they they call him faint heart, don't they? Because they they're not so at this point they're not taking him very seriously. Um, no, yeah, they real, call him faint heart for sure. Yeah, yes, yeah. So they sort of realise that, don't they? I think. Uh, Which I guess that's a good point to kind of mention how that starts out with them, because basically at the start, we learn more about them later, but Belle and Nura at the start of the book, they kind of seem almost like hecklers for Captain Flameheart because in the margins, you'll see like, Oh wow. You really did that faint heart or like, you know, some little comments that seem like they're kind of poking fun at him. Yes. Yeah. Oh, very totally. Um, and but when I first sort of opened the book, that was quite, it was quite confusing. I think it I was for me, yes. Yeah, yeah I, I, I sort of, I must have flown straight past the, the, the like frontispiece with the recorded and compiled by Captain Flameheart bit, and sort of jump, jump straight into the book. But when I first, I could, I couldn't quite figure out, well, who are they, first of all, and why are they commenting? Um, so I, I sort of made, but, but it's, but knowing, you know, having read the book now and knowing who they are, uh, it's, it's a nice. Um, What's the word? There's probably technical a segue, is it, between the two halves of the right. of the stories to have their comments and the contrast as well, their sort of attitudes about things that Flameheart is saying. Um, but I think that's a nice way they did it too, because it's very confusing when you read it that way at first. But mm. once you get to the end of the book, it comes full circle how they did it that way. So yes. it, it really makes sense why they were commenting like that after they already had their journeys. Absolutely, yes. And it's good, it's good to go back then, isn't it? And then sort of read that Definitely, sort yes. of first half again. Then it all sort of fits in and makes absolute sense. Um, yeah, no, very good. But kind of going along Flameheart's story a little bit, we mentioned how no one really wanted to help him out or actually talk to him about the pirate life it isn't until he basically uses one of his father's old coins that is presumed to be coming from the ancient isles mm. he shows this to a man named isidro and that's basically the first thing that gets him a ticket into the world so yes 
I mean, he gets a little bit, but just before that, before the ancient coin, but he, he's talking about um, no one would acknowledge the Sea of Thieves. I mean, obviously his intention is to go right. to the Sea of Thieves. Says, While no one I spoke to would acknowledge the Sea of Thieves by name, a few did admit that they knew of young apprentices who'd brazenly undertaken the voyage I planned for myself. So, yes, until he's actually sort of waved this coin about, they're, they're not going to talk to him. They, it's a secretive, um, sort of private. It's a bit like Right, um, and they kind of feel like, why would we share our secrets with you? <clears throat> You're just some scholar boy that, you know, doesn't know anything. So well, that's, that's, that's kind right. of how they're looking at it. Yeah, That's right, yeah. I think the justification is that they don't want the Navy or bigger trading companies or businesses or privateers even to find their way to the Sea of Thieves. It's a place where they can be, you know, live in freedom. Um, right, because it's kind of like their thing. It's their culture mm, that no one else really knows about. So Yeah. Yeah. So this ancient coin, yeah, this ancient coin is uh, it's mentioned is quite interesting as well. Um, but yeah, basically from that ancient coin, he shows it to a man named Isidro. Mm. And then this Isidro, he actually procures him a ship and a crew. And Basically, on his crew is himself, Isidro, Rosie, who's the quartermaster of the ship, and yeah. Tomas, who is, like, I guess a very young deckhand. I kind of imagined him, like, maybe 14 or 15. That's kind of how I imagined him. So, yes, yeah. I, yeah. Teenager, I should think. Right. Do you have anything to particularly say about those characters? I mean, we never really learn a ton about their background, but they seem like they're... At least Zidro seems like he's very knowledgeable about the Sea of Thieves. He really knows how to get around and what to do with it. But Rosie and Tomaz, we never really find out too much about their character, I would say. No, I think it's not until um, they sort of talk about the cat. Is it the ship's cat later on? Right. Um, Troubled. Yes. Troubled, yes. And it, it, there's a little bit more there about the various various characters because he likes the cat likes to sleep on Zidro's head, I think. Um, and, uh, right. Is it Rosie who hates the cat? Rosie really doesn't like the cat because of um, all the superstitions associated um, with cats on board ship. But um, Isidro is the one who sort of buys the buys the boat, doesn't he? Um, yes. And employs the crew and introduces Flameheart as captain, um, I think, when they first get aboard. Yes, and basically that coin is essentially what gave him, like, sort of the respect amongst the crew because they figure if he has this coin, he at least, you know, has enough connection with the Sea of Thieves that he can have a respect temporarily. Yes. Does it say somewhere that it's um, the currency in Sea of Thieves? I think it does, doesn't it? Um, yeah, these coins were a currency in the Sea of Thieves. It, it basically... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it just says it was mm. a currency, but it seems like it was like a long time ago, so it seems like a currency that might have, Yes. I guess, grown weaker at this point, like, or not... How should I put it? I guess a currency that kind of like went out of style that still can be found, but it's rare enough that if someone has this, then they have a deep enough connection that they have some respect. Exactly. That's yes. Kind of seems to me. Yes. So it gives them a bit of look, credence, doesn't it? Uh, that he has right. a reason to be asking about it. Yeah. So Flameheart doesn't really know what to do with himself, does he? Wants his captain of this ship. He doesn't. <laughs> I don't. I don't, I don't, he does not, I don't no. Next bit is all right. It's useful because. It's describing the the ship and the captain's cabin, not only for Flameheart, but also for anybody else, you know, who's going to play right. the game, who's a new player. You know, if you need to know 
about the galleons in Sea of Thieves, you can sort of read about them here. Um, it tells you um, a lot of the information about it. Um, there are some differences. Yeah, I mean, basically, a lot of the beginning of the book is just kind of going through things like that. It's going through the galleon. Yeah. It goes through, like, the foliage of the world, yeah. you know, maybe some of the food in the world. It goes through little things like mm. that that he wouldn't have known himself because he just didn't really have the real world experience. So you're kind of learning along with him how he learned about that. That's right. Things. Yes. And, and the fact that he was, he was horribly seasick for days, wasn't he, when they set sail? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the poor guy. I almost felt quite sorry for him. Um, <laughs> for a little bit. <laughs> but basically he goes from that. Essentially, for the most part, it goes right into mm. where they actually enter the Sea of Thieves and he's actually asleep for this part of the, the journey. So he doesn't actually know how they crossed into there, but basically how it's described is in order to get into the Sea of Thieves, you have to know like sort of like the exact coordinates and Isidro how to, knew how to get there. But basically Flameheart wakes up and they're already in there and he's kind of, I guess I'd say, bummed out about missing that. So Yes. Yes. I mean, there's a lovely phrase in there about it being like a, th a fold in the map. The Sea of Thieves appears to be lost in the crease of a map. One must know that it is there to find it, which is which is a lot like, um, you know, a lot of mythical islands, isn't it? Um, it's stories and legends that we have um, about Avalon and uh, other other mythical islands off the coasts of Ireland. And um, there must be plenty of different parts of the world, similar sorts of things. But they, you know, sometimes they appear at certain times of year or you have to sail a certain way to get to them. Um, but yeah, so, so I really do like that. I'm... I wonder if they didn't describe what the crossing was like because at the time the book was written, perhaps Rare might not have firmed up what the edge of the world was like. I don't know. Yeah, they might not have. I mean, it sounds like basically they kind of tied it into this because it's described as the Devil's Shroud. And yes. essentially it's like a, a giant cloud of mist, what it sounds like, which we know in... Our version yes. of the game, it's not really mist, but it is like a deep red sea, and there's like really ominous music playing. So maybe they changed that just in the actual game true, world yeah. because maybe the mist was yeah. too hard to actually do. Since if there's a bunch of mist, you can't really see to get yourself out of there. So maybe they didn't want to do that aspect. But in the book, it's basically described as like mist that if you go through it, it'll swallow your ship and just destroy it, kind of like the edge of the world does in ours. Yeah. And Bell says, you know, at the bottom of the, the page where she's described the crossing, lucky I hear most ships don't make the crossing in one piece. Um, which, which sort of goes to show that it is you know, quite a, you know, a treacherous sort of bit of water to, to sail across. I think I did write, I did, I remember writing um, a bit of something for the forums. I think it was how I arrived in Sea of Thieves, you know, before I'd even read the book. Um, and it was something similar, you know, so overnight you sort of, I don't know if I might remember there was a storm, but it was about waking up in the morning to different stars in the sky. So a similar sort of thing. There's sort of a barrier, a sort of a Bermuda Triangle effect, I suppose, um, that gets you across into the Sea of Thieves. Right, yeah, because it kind of sounds like you only get there if you know about it, pretty much. But basically, they do get there, and then essentially, he's in the Sea of Thieves... And pretty much the story kind of chronicles his first couple of days in the Sea of Thieves. You know, as you said, he is seasick 
and things like that. It kind of talks about how he's getting used to it for the first few days. So the beginning of the journey is basically just about like him getting used to it. He talks about, you know, outfitting his ship and the weapons, just a lot of like beginning stuff is what this first part of the story is. Yeah, he is at an outpost, doesn't he? And so wants to sort of restock the ship and it's a lot about his experience walking around the outpost. I must say that there's one little bit where they talk about markets and um, it sounds it's quite a bit busier in the book than it is in game at the moment. And there's like stores about and different um, sort of traders and um, sort of people walking about buying things, isn't there? He talks about jeweled rings and knickknacks and um, all the other things that he sees on the, the stores and um, and the trading, the trading companies, his first encounters with those, uh, which is nice. Right. Something talks about the gold order. Yeah, he basically mm. talks about going to the outpost and those interactions. Yes. And it's kind of just the start of his journey. And then he goes into kind of his aspirations, sort of. He talks about those. <laughs> he aspires to be like his father and kind of conduct himself in a way that will garner respect amongst people in that world. But unfortunately for him, he hasn't really earned no, that yet. That's right. he just, this is where he talks about going to the tavern and the only way um, that you can fit in, you can fit in is late at night when you've got too much to drink and everyone's telling tales of all the adventures they've had. I think um, somewhere in this bit, I think. But yes, he's sort of starting to sort of, sort of relax into the role a little bit, I suppose. I think Rosie's taking charge of uh, restocking the ship and everything, but he's um, spends a lot of time describing everybody until that night right, he goes yeah. to sleep on the boat and then he gets led off to must have been one of the old souls the order of the souls traders presumably the first mystery so yeah basically as you said he kind of meets people at the outpost first he meets a gold hoarder and the gold hoarder basically gives him a quest to find a chest for him and he seems really excited about this at first because it's his first chance to make a name for himself and his first chance to go on a journey. But before he can actually do that, he meets the Order of Souls person, like you said. Well, it's never particularly said to be Order of Souls, but we kind of assume it to be Order of Souls. He meets an old woman that's kind of mysterious. And basically, she gives him a quest to find some interesting object. And essentially, at the end of that journal entry, he's like, okay... I have a choice to make. I can go either go for the chest or I can go for this mysterious object. And he decides to go for the mysterious object. Yes. Yeah, there's a couple of, there's a couple of other interesting bits there because um, when you talk about the gold hoarders, the gold hoarders talk about the fact where well, you can't actually open the chest that I'm going to send you to find because it needs a suitable skeleton key which only the gold hoarders possess. And then when he talks about the, um, the, the map with the old lady, who's arranged a meeting in the middle of the night. He says he feels very drawn um, to the chest, to the, the quest, the idea of going to fetch this object uh, that she's sending him off to. He talks about the ink flowing from her fingertips, doesn't he? Um, so she definitely does sound like a, an old souls, um, older souls um, representative. But yes, he decides, well, I think you know, he's, he's quite wealthy, he doesn't need the money, does he? So he's going to go off with the the mystery, mystery of adventure. Yeah, yeah. I think he wants the adventure more because that's sort of the long lines of what he wanted to do. He wanted to be adventurous like his father and sort of prove himself. So it sounds like he really wish, wants to prove himself more than the money because he doesn't want the wealth. He wants sort of the respect more than the wealth. That's right. Yeah, the experience. This is where they have the cat. The cat yes, trouble the cat. <laughs> trouble yes. the cat. 
which I think is a nice uh, <laughs> sort of a departure from um, the, the, the frame part, part of the story slightly. I mean, it's or, or like an insert, if you like. So it, it has its own chapter. And, and they do that, he does this quite a lot during the book. There's little interjections of information and, you know, interesting little snippets and just like by-the-by um, things. And the cats is a good way of sort of bringing in about the superstitions that sailors had and because they really were a superstitious lot. But the, the cat's quite comical, and, and the, the actual sort of picture of the cat, the model of the cat there, is, is, is full of character. You know, it's a scarred, black, moggy, <laughs> sort of invites itself aboard and, and does whatever it likes, basically, including catching seagulls. Right. No, yeah, definitely. And the cat is kind of a nuisance to Rosie, especially. And it said, like, that, like you said earlier, it sleeps on Isidro's head, and it kind of scratches his head. <laughs> <Yeah>. and, so... <laughs> The cat sounds like sort of a nuisance, but also it does say that it seems like it's sort of superstitious that yes, yeah, you don't really right. want to get rid of the and cat the because rats. they're seen as like good luck for the show. So. <laughs> definitely. Yes, definitely. So that helps too. <laughs> so it kind of helps out that way. But basically after they talk about trouble a little bit, we kind of go into their first battle and how that goes. Do you want to describe how their first battle went a little bit? Yes. Um, now it's that's this isn't their first battle though, is it? This is this is where it, it sort of slants off again, and you have some of the tales of Sea of Thieves. So these, I'm not sure where this first one comes from, but the Mermaid's Fortune, the Serpent's Lie, and the Mad Monkey are names of ships in the game. Um, and following that sort of first battle story, because he because his ship's called the Silver Blade, isn't it? He's still on the Silver Blade. Um, and in that first battle section, they, they mention. Even the fabled grog males were spotted observing the battle. Um, though that stretches the credulity of this humble scholar. Um, right. And then following that, you've got a map of the world. But there are excerpts from stories that people have written on the forums. So these are real people's stories. So we've got Natsu, for instance, from the SS Troglodyte, um, who's written the story. You've got um, Captain Thugs Deluxe, um, who again is another community member whose story is in the book. So I think those are there as... I don't know, examples of the tavern stories, the tales that he was able to listen to while he was on the outpost that he's heard told. Um, and then, yeah. Right, which is really interesting, too. I mean, reading through some of these tales, it's actually very helpful, I think, especially if you're a new player, because it goes through a lot of the strategies mm. oh, yeah, that, yeah. I mean, that like, these fictional captains would writers. avoid to um, actually win their situations. And they come back and they, they post these stories um, for everybody to read, and they're, they're really, really <clears throat> fantastical adventures. Um, and like you say, using some of the techniques and strategies um, that, that, that you can use yourself in game, that you can sort of learn from um, the stories. Right, definitely. So yeah, sort of the next section, it kind of goes over the natural history of the world, and basically it talks about a lot of the different animals. It talks about like, birds, like it shows pictures of parrots and toucans, and things like that. It also talks about other animals we haven't seen in games, such as like crabs we haven't seen in the game yet, or snails. So it kind of does lend itself to the fact that there could be like, say, a fisherman or sort of seafood trading company at some point, because there's a lot of different sea animals that are listed in here that aren't available in the game yet. Mm. Yeah, he's been sort of very observant of the world, hasn't he? There's a dodo. I would love to see <laughs> yes. a dodo in the game. <laughs> that and turtles, I think, and I'd be happy <laughs> completely. Um, That'd be really interesting, all... yeah. 
you know, all the drawings of the plants and he talks about forcing into my mouth the most refreshing treats was laughably amongst the most intimidating challenges he's ever done um so i suppose it must be rosie and the crew are out there sort of foraging for um bits and pieces but you've got these lovely sketches of the different plants that you can find in game and like you say the the animals the crabs the snakes and, the, and it's here where we see the first appearance of the cook isn't it as well when, when they're talking about snakes oh yes the cook is in Jean. yes you meant yes yes the author yeah <laughs> but yeah he appears and he's kind of we'll get into it a little bit more later but his speech is definitely hard to decipher so very yes <laughs> very um you have to kind of think about it as you're deciphering it yeah. <laughs> yeah, very phonetic spelling there. Yes, but it also talks about water pegs or boars, which is really interesting because currently we have regular, you know, like farm pegs that are available. But it'll be very interesting to see, like, say, a boar in the world at some point if that comes, because they yes. might charge charge at you and they might be dangerous. So. Oh, absolutely, yes. Because um, we got to, there's like um, the tribal pictures, the tribal. Um, or the old, the ancient, I suppose we should call them, um, altars about the place with, with these obviously such type totem animals. Uh, you know, we've got the bird, we've got the snake, and then we've got this magnificent pictures of boars um, on certain of the islands. And that, that would be that would be quite scary, wouldn't it? Because I think boars can be quite dangerous um, animals. But to imagine... Absolutely. I mean, I think they'd be more dangerous than snakes because snakes can't really chase you. Like the boar could probably chase you. I think the boar could run pretty fast, and he's got quite, Probably, a, yes. quite a nice pair of tusks on his face there. <laughs> but they also get into some other things, like they actually show Blind Eye Bob, which he looks pretty yes. interesting, so, which we yes. do know now that he is in the Pirate Legend Tavern, so that's interesting as well. That's right, yeah. And we have a sketch of the music box, so we start to see um, some, more, some of the instruments that are available, the hurdy-gurdy there, and concertina that's um blind bob is is playing yeah right. i wonder he's, he's i wonder if he's quite a sort of a newish character blind bob i mean in the book here um i suppose it's the first sort of hints or the first sort of appearance of him i mean Flamehearts yeah. is you know as we know sort of later on becomes bones doesn't he and which must be the Captain Bones on Twitter, do you think? It could be, yeah. I mean, it, it would make sense, I guess. Yeah, so it could be sort of later on. Um, but Blind Bob has been sort of absent up until now, but he's got he's sort of quite a significant character, isn't he, I think? Yeah, he definitely seems interesting, and I'd love to find out like his full story at some point, you know, mm. like his full background or... Maybe he wasn't always blind, or who knows? But it'd be interesting to find his full background at some point. Yes, yeah. But we won't get into all of them. But it also gets into like some of the gambling games. So it'd be interesting yes. to see some of these gambling games in game at some point. Like it talks about Liar's Dice and a game called Betty, a game called Karnath. So that's right. It'd be very interesting to try and play some of these games in the world. And a lot of them seem pretty simple too, where it wouldn't take a lot of learning to play these games. No, that's right. They are very easy to pick up. I think the Carnath, um, in the Sea of Thieves store, you can buy a pack of cards and they have the rules for Carnath included in the pack. 
Yeah, which I is think, really cool. Yeah. So, so it's that connection again, isn't it, between – which is quite nice. So you've got the game, but then you, you have the book with the law, but then you also have, you know, items um, that you can sort of uh, – sort of get hold of that you can purchase or that they're also connected to the world to the game so it's making it a sort of big hole if you like um no right complete and, and then we go we've got to be a lot of fun to play for sure yes oh yes but then we kind of get into i would say we start getting into what is the meat of the book because a lot mm. of the stuff that comes before this point is kind of like subtext is kind of like getting you acquainted with the world mm. but at this point where it talks about cursed objects i would say this is where we get into our, the meat of our story yes and i'll read a little passage that talks about one of these cursed objects that i, I thought was really cool it's basically the first mention of something that we haven't seen yet but it's definitely very intriguing mm -hmm. so he writes in his journal once hauled free of the sod and grime that had so long ensnared our prize, we found ourselves staring down at a small black slate chest that sat surprisingly untouched by the passage of time. Silvery, illegible script crawled across every surface, betraying no clue to the contents of its original owner. Red Rosie reached out to pry open the glass, but Isidro stopped her in her tracks with a low grumble, one matched a moment later by thunder on the horizon. It was time to leave. This is very interesting, and basically they find this chest that's described there, and this kind of leads us on our the rest of our adventure for the entire book. So that's kind of why I picked that passage, because this chest is very important, and as we talk yes. about the book more, I mean, we'll find out more about this chest, but it seems to be with the object that the uh, Order of Souls person wanted him to find, and he has actually found this. So yes. you think that this means, you know, oh, great, he found it, you know, easy enough but as we find out it wasn't that easy so no that's right i mean it's just it's it, and it fits it's, it fits well in with the world where we know there are things like you know mermaids where we know there is you know the kraken we know there are these strange trading companies so it's it's, it's like it's on the borderline between um sort of reality and myth if you like, so you can find cursed objects. They they're real, and the curses are real. They're not just um, stories. And yes, like right. you say, the, the the whole tale starts to become much more interesting. It becomes more of a story now, doesn't it? Um, Definitely, there's something um, to yeah, investigate. Up until this point, it was more of like a journal of like how he got acquainted with things. But from this point on, it becomes more of a story, I'd say, like you said. Yes, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I think so too. And they talk, they mentioned here the, the cursed chests also that you can find in game, the chest of a thousand grogs and the um, chest of sorrows, don't they? So we've yes. already in-game experienced some cursed chests, if you like, but there's this other one that he's found. Definitely, but then it kind of goes into... Basically, right after they find this chest, they find themselves in a predicament and someone was actually trying to attack them. A ship came for them. And mm. basically, the section is kind of titled Farewell, My Silver Blade. Do yeah. you want to talk about Captain Flameheart's, you know, what he thinks at the time is a genius move? <laughs> <laughs> he, well, he, he thought it was a, a genius move. 
to to sail into the devil's shroud basically yes. oh but <laughs> before they even that he's thinking about dropping the anchor um he says a harsh laugh escaped my dry lips as i exulted intending to suggest indeed command that we drop anchor and lick our proverbial wounds um but actually, it's Isidro who turns around and calls him a bloody fool, he says. <laughs> You've sent <laughs> right. us straight to the Devil's Shroud. Um, and we get you know, there's this fantastic description about what is going on with the ship while, he's, while they're sailing through this, um, you know, Devil's Shroud. Every hole we patched and bunged, two more ruptures took its place. Um you know, the, the silver blade was dying, the ghastly fog choking the life out of her with its chill touch. So, yeah, quite quite a disaster and quite sad, really, because it's, you know, not that long after he's actually arrived in, in the Sea of Thieves. So <laughs> it doesn't do much for his uh, credibility, I don't think, sadly. Right, yeah, I mean, basically <laughs> just got there and then he pretty much already sunk their ship because he <laughs> sailed them right into this. And Isidro definitely isn't happy. He's like, what are you doing? Like you sailed this into Dell's Trout. Everyone knows not to go there. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And you've got the comments from, from Bell and Noor at the bottom and Noor is saying, oh dear, I blame the mushrooms, you know, and Bell is saying what I thought too, but a lot more dramatic words with some bad ones. You really hate me using. Right. So, <laughs> I think they probably weren't very impressed. Either. Which that kind of gives the listeners like an idea of how Bell and Noor, they kind of like just kind of heckle throughout the first part of the book. So it, mm. it's kind of interesting. That's right. Yeah. Sort of a commentary on it. What he's doing. But then we kind of find out basically about the pirate Lord and the fairy of the damned, which is very interesting. Yes, that's right. Yeah, the fairy, the damned, and its captain, and you've got some again some sort of marvelous illustrations of the detail that you can see on the fairy and um, the unicorns. You know, I, I'm not. I'd like to know more about the unicorns actually because they sort of feature sort of quite strongly on the fairy, the damned, and I'm not sure why that is. But it also. Um, sort of puts it puts puts the very damned in, in context well sort of later on. Um it right, talks yeah. much more about the fairy of the damned. Then he goes on to talk about the merfolk. So again we're we're sort of taken away from the the sinking of the silver blade into looking at more the more mystical aspects of Sea of Thieves life, I suppose. The the mermaids and the fairy of the damned and um skeletons of course yes yeah, so basically it talks about merfolk and the fairy of the dam things like that but the reason why we're kind of skipping by that right now is because we're going to get into that more in detail after we talk about bell and Nura's story because there's details in their story that kind of work along with his story so that's yes that's right but basically yeah. once we get past that the book kind of continues with his story you know they're shipwrecked and Basically, everyone's kind of annoyed with him, and after licking their wounds for a few days, they sort of find this cave. And yes, yeah, they kind of go towards that cave. So, yes, it's um, yeah, basically a very, they go very into this cave, one. and they have a very interesting time in that cave, and they drop down, and he actually finds this golden chalice. Do you want to talk about the mm. meaning of that chalice? Yeah, I mean, thinking about this, it's, and, and knowing sort of 
Mike Chapman's Love of the Goonies, it's, again, there's another sort of parallel there almost, right. isn't it, where you've got um, sort of real-life people, real-life gang of friends, a crew, if you like, um, boys, um, suddenly sort of being thrust out of the real world into something that is a little bit more fantastical. Um, so so we've had the talk about mermaids and skeletons, and here we've got this this goblet, um, and they can't decide, or Bella and Nura can't decide, whether it's the water or it's the goblet that's cursed, because when they drink from this goblet, um, it satisfies their, their thirst, they, they're full of energy again, but they're not hungry. So they're walking right. along with this goblet, drinking and drinking and... You know, it, it keeps refilling itself, um, presumably, and the whole crew just sort of takes a few sips from this this goblet, and they're walking onwards, and they're they're happy, they're joyous, they're um, ra- enraptured, aren't they? They're enchanted, um, either by the goblet or or what they've drunk drunk from it. Um, yeah, definitely, because they-, they drop down in this cave and. Yeah. They see this goblet and think, oh, great, we got some treasure. That's kind of what Flame, Flame Power thinks at first. And mm. they're all thirsty, so they think, well, why not just take, you know, drink some of this water with the goblet? And yeah. basically, as you described, when they taste this water, to them, it tastes like the best water they've ever had in their lives. And mm. it sort of takes away their hunger. They're not thirsty anymore. And as we kind of journey along the cave, they basically just keep drinking the water and they just get more happy and more giddy, kind of more entranced. Yep. And they're sort of going deeper and, and further down and it's darker. And I think they sort of become even more sort of mesmerized. So they, they can't remember if they've slept or, um, you know, how many days have passed or what time it is um, until they come to this um, sort of final, final cavern. Right. And basically, as it said, you know, Flameheart is really the one that sort of retains his wits a little bit, but mm. it seems like the rest of the crew is fully entranced. Yes. And as you said, they come to this final cavern and what they find is essentially a skeleton lord that actually let, laid this trap for them. Mm. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because it would not very much is said about him. He's just called the captain. Okay. Um, but he actually, there's the, the captain with like an, just an the captain, so, the yeah, captain, it's not even called the captain. Yeah. I have to get my pirate accent. The captain. <laughs> exactly. <He has> an <laughs> <accent too. laughs> um, but, but the captain knew, knew Flameheart's father, uh, right. and was actually, I think it says he was marooned there or left there by, Yes, he says, you remind me of your father, the captain said, Kip simply. A fine crewman till he stranded me here. Perhaps you'll make an equally fine replacement. Um, And I think Flameheart sort of realises that, you know, that the crew of the Silver Blade are dead, disintegrating, um, but turning into skeletons, so sort of becoming a skeleton. He doesn't seem too disheartened by that particularly. It doesn't really... Yeah, the rest of the crew is so entranced, they don't really care. They just want to follow the skeleton lore because basically either the water or the cup kind of sort of enslaved into the skeleton lord. And 
I think Flameheart, it seems like he cares a little bit, but he doesn't care enough to actually do anything about it. Like, he can't do anything at that point. He just, he knows what's happening, and he seems like yeah. he regrets it, but he can't really stop at this point. No, his, his like, sort of free will has, has disappeared, doesn't it? Right. Um, did I have any last questions? He says, why me was the main one, and that's... That was it. And and the cats. The cats mentioned at the very end of that section, isn't it? <laughs> the cats returned there as well. So, I mean, that, that sort of asks a bit of a question as... But it how does did, kind of... Yeah. Well, kind how of like you were there? saying, too, with his father, it, it does kind of tell the story of, like, an untold tale, sort of, because when he says, you know, you make a fine crewman like your father... It kind of makes me think and speculate that maybe his father was part of his crew at one point, but his father sort of revolted against this guy, and this guy was his father's captain, and maybe that's mm. how his father became a captain. So maybe this is sort of like whoever this captain person is, maybe this is like his revenge against that family. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah I would like to know a lot more about the stories of Flameheart's father, actually, like you say, right, um, and the role that this captain sort of plays, and and where Flameheart's father is now, whether he's still in the sea yeah, of thieves, or he's, yeah, maybe or in the he's sea of the damned, himself, or who knows? <clears throat> That's right. Yes. So, so the book, it yeah, you know, it does raise a a lot of questions. There's there's more we want to know, um, you know, about the stories and the characters um, that are in here. I think. But, but pretty much where... that's that's kind of like the end of all we know about Flameheart. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. from that point on, we have to assume that he is dead. So, or he's at least either dead or part of his the skeleton lord's skeleton army, basically. Yes. Yeah. So he's. That's Which to me, like, I don't know if it's when I first read through it, it actually really surprised me because I didn't think his story was going to end that fast. I mean, basically, from that point on, we never hear a single word from him again. The rest of the book is all Captain Bell. That's right. Yes. I mean, it's the same for me. It did surprise me um, as well how quickly it was over. But I think um, the book might have been about sort of three times as long if you were to go into very much more detail about, um, you know, Flameheart's journey and um, who the captain is and the rest of it. There's, there's definitely sort of, um, a novel <laughs> right. potential in in there, isn't there? Um, for the rest of the sort of connecting stories, the background. But I do like how they did it this way, though, because mm. the way they did it, you know, essentially Captain Bell, she finds his journal and there's all these blank pages in the back. And that's what she uses to write her story in this same book. So yes. it is kind of nice how they did it that way, because it basically allows for her to tell her story after reading his story. So his story kind of projected upon her journey, which I think is a really cool parallel to the game itself, because basically, you know, if I'm playing with someone, my story and my experiences will project on another player and mm. so on. So that's kind of how I saw it, like, paralleling. Yes, yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. And also because... You know the the previous it, it's his journal, isn't it? It's not, um, you know, he he's writing his experiences down. So, um, you know, at the end where he is sort of talking to the cap, and it's it's going to be sort of quite brief, um, 
because of the point right. of view from which it's written. Um, but I do like I like the change in style now when we um, have Belle telling her story, um, and we still have the, the little sort of inserts as Nura sort of sort of comments here and there, and Belle replies, um, and it, and it really does become much more of an adventure now. Um, I think with this um, urge to go and find the chest or um, right. whatever's on the map. Yeah, because <clears throat> basically how I envision the timeline of this book is essentially Flameheart had the journal, he wrote down his journal, and then whatever happened to him, whether he died or whatever happened, occurred, and then the journal was just left there. Mm. Bell finds this journal she reads it, and I envision that she makes her comments in the margins at that time. Mm. And then I, what I imagine is that basically after the entire story is completed, after the entire journey is completed, that's when Belle finally shares the journal with Nura, and Nura writes her comments in. That's how I kind of finish it. Oh, right. Oh, okay. No, I, I, I sort of had them all... Nura coming along... You know, after they after it had been written, but perhaps at the end of the day or the end of the next day, um, so it was it's a little bit more sort of contemporary rather than waiting for the the very end. But um, it could be that way too. But yeah. the way I envision it that way is because as we go through Belle's story now, she seems to have a lot of guilt for not sharing her plans with Nura. And That's very true. Yeah. Basically, from that, I kind of read the context as like at the end of all that's happened she decides okay i'm going to share this with you and we even see in the margins a little bit where she says like yeah i'm kind of sorry about this nora you know not that you're like finding this out about yes yeah but that's very true actually i mean that might not be the timeline but that's kind of how i envisioned the timeline when I was <laughs> so but it but works but it's either way works sort yeah of, exactly sort of very sorry. well doesn't it but I guess either, either version of the timeline, um, it's important to know that most of these journal entries, Nora doesn't know all the reader knows. You know, Belle and the reader are the ones that know about this stuff, and Nora doesn't know about it yet. So that's important yes. to know. Yes. Um, Belle, I mean, Belle's a very sort of um, strong character, I think. Right. Um, in that interview with the author... Um, I think he had a vision of um, uh, somebody who played guitar for Prince, I think. I was in the backing bands that he, they, they, he envisioned her as um, the basis for the character of, of Belle called um, Marisabelle, she says her name is, but Belle for short. Right. Um, but as a very sort of quite strong, determined um, quite powerful character. Yeah, definitely. And I would definitely describe her as someone that if she sets her mind to something, then it's very hard to get her off that path. Mm. Yeah, she is extremely determined, isn't she? I mean, there's you, you can sort of, um, sort of tell that she's not going to be put off. She's going to be um, finding out the secret, this treasure, this um, whatever it is, and then discovering what the curse is. Someone... Somehow they can use it to benefit themselves. They can sell it to somebody. Um, but just to solve the mystery of it. Right. 
And basically to kind of go over these characters a little bit, we, we already talked about Belle and death, but mm. essentially Nora, they Nora and Belle are married. And mm. I guess Nora, I would describe her as someone that has like a little bit more caution in her approach. And she seems to be a great fighter, but she doesn't seem to be as, I guess, headstrong to like rush into things as Belle is. No, she's um she's called Nine Cat Nura. Right. Um, I'd, I'd I'd definitely like to know sort of more about Nura, um, as well. I'm sort of sort of quite intrigued about her. It does say somewhere that she's a little bit older than Belle, I think. Um, but they you know they grew up together, obviously on the sort of same island. Um, but yes, she's she's definitely the sort of softer side of the partnership, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that, too. And then basically the third person that's mentioned on their ship is, I don't know how you pronounce it, Jean or Jean, however you want to pronounce it. but Jean, yeah, it, either. Yeah, I pronounced it as Jean when I read it, but it could be Jean. He could be like French or something. Who knows? But Could be. But yeah. basically he's nicknamed half a stew Jean, and <laughs> essentially he's the cook of the ship. He's not very intelligent. And he's definitely very illiterate, which we see in the little bit of writing he has in the book. But yeah. by the end of the book, it does seem like he's a character that has a lot of good heart to him. Yes, and and he actually closes the story, doesn't he? He does, yes. Um, which is which is nice because it's 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 his point of view of what happens at the very ends. Um, but it's quite satisfying to read it that way um, rather than from Belle's point of view or, or Nura's even. Um, right. And he sort of does it through like a little series of letters, doesn't he, as if he's writing to to Belle, but diary entries, journal entries right. in, the, in the book. And kind of the last character we have in this portion uh, is someone named Cole. He is met later on, so we won't get into them too much because just we'll the talk end. about like how the story progressed. But essentially, what you would need to know at this point is when he is first met, he is described as someone that could be untrustworthy and possibly a coward. That's kind of how he's described. So, yes, this is a but basically character. at this point in the novel, we kind of kick off right with Belle. She is intrigued by Captain Flameheart's tale and essentially she wants to find this cursed chest because she thinks it could still be there at the bottom of where the Devil's Shroud was and she wants to find this and figure out what it was. Yes, yeah. And the other interesting thing is the skeleton <clears throat> is on the island where they grew up. Um, that is true, yes. You know, this 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 a long time dead guy his bows are here on the beach we've been partying on since we were little. Now, it's it's interesting also because the skeleton seems to move, which I think she mentions sort of throughout their story that she, she goes back to, to find the set of bones at one point and she thinks that's a bit weird. You know, he wasn't there, he was somewhere else. So it makes me wonder here whether... He appeared on the beach for a reason, and they just dis discovered the journal and, um, you know, the adventure at that specific time for, for a reason. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe they did because it was an island they grew up on. And kind of like you said, the skeleton moves around, which really throws Belle off because she goes to find this chest. But then she realizes from the journal that Captain Flamer locked it in the brig and then she doesn't have the keys for it. And mm-hmm. she realizes, oh, wait, it's probably he's probably the type of guy that kept the keys on him. So she goes back to the island to look for the skeleton, but the skeleton's not in the same spot. So that's really interesting that's- to find out. Yes, so that's the bit, and because she, she says to Nura, doesn't she? I think that um, he, he's he's a he's a living skeleton. He's he's still alive right. um, because of that. So, yeah, that's quite uh, spooky. Which is interesting in terms of the actual game because every skeleton we see on the islands that are like just laying there, they're not anything we can interact with. So it's very interesting to me because it. I pictured it as when she first saw him, he was just like laying on the beach and supposedly, you know, a dead skeleton. But then if he's moving, do these skeletons perhaps like rest at some point? They still rest because the skeletons we actually encounter in our version of the game, they all come attack us. But yes, kind of kind of like when Belle talks about it, uh, I think it's a little bit later on, but she describes Maybe there's such a thing as good skeletons. Maybe there's skeletons that, you know, won't yes. attack you. Yes. And they're quite, it's, it's like, it's like Bones, Mr. Bones, as they start calling him, is, um, you know, a bit, a bit more sort of intelligent or a bit right. more sort of self-directed than the skeletons that rise up out of the sand that, that we fight in the game. And it made me wonder at the time when I read this, it made me wonder, well, you know, is he still there? Is he in the game? Is he right, in the game yeah, somewhere? Really Can I actually go and find him? So sitting <laughs> on a beach, clutching his book somewhere, um, because <laughs> because that would be fantastic. You know, if you could do that, um, that connection between you know this law, the story, and these people who lived so long ago, um, presumably in the story, um, and and something that's in the game now, um, something quite specific. Um, and plus, of course, we have Mr. Bones. We have Captain Bones on Twitter as well, with the, um, who was there before the official Sea of Thieves um, account was made, um, dropping hints. and. Yeah, so maybe that's why they call them Mr. Bones in the book. So who knows? So. Yeah, absolutely. could be, yeah, absolutely. They like they, to drop uh... little hints like that, so. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's little details that make it a bit more fascinating, don't they, I think. But essentially, she does get the keys off of him, and she does go retrieve this cursed chest and bring it back to the ship. But mm. the rest of the crew, including Ja and Nora, they don't know about this, so they don't know what's on the ship. No. And she does, you know, it's, it's quite significant that it's, you know, it is a cursed chest and it's on the ship. Um, and the crew can sense it. She says somewhere that the crew aren't pleased because of the cursed chest, cursed chest being on there, and that she hears sort of voices coming from it, and you know the front of it sort of ripples. Um, it's, it's it's quite a sinister thing, isn't it? But it's quite a, a malevolent feel right. uh, to this chest that she's bought on board. Yeah, definitely, and. At this point, and also a little bit earlier in the book, we learn that basically as a child, um, Belle has had these earrings where she can 
speak to mermaids with them or merfolk. Mm. So this is kind of like where she sort of has a plan because she figures I can't recognize this writing on the chest. I can read that it says don't open, but that's all I can really tell from it. So sort of what her plan is, is to find the mermaids or merfolk and actually ask them about it. Maybe they can figure out what's going on with the chest, you know, what's inside it or what what the story is behind it. Yes. And then we get all that sort of magnificent um, sort of background about the mermaids, don't we? And um, their relationship with the people um, living in Sea of Thieves now and the ones who are in the past. And there's this lovely thing about um, whether they'd actually made a a bargain and how was the bargain struck that the mermaids would rescue pirates, um, what was paid, what was promised um, about it and that. Sort of the the poem about the mermaids that they're not the you know the aerial Disney type um, mermaids uh, that, that that again most of us are familiar with that they're something slightly different aren't they and again they they can also be um, drowned sailors so on one of the pages I think it's day eleven you've got um where you've got a figure who obviously looks like a drowned pirate or a pirate who is morphing into something much more sort of fish like i don't know mermaid like and that's a bit like the the um comic con art i think that was right shown isn't it where well, we saw pictures of mermaids in different sort of stages of transformation so i wonder if there are sort of two different types of the mermaids where you've got the, the the sailor the drowned sailor version and you have like an original version i don't know yeah i'm not sure but i mean it definitely says that basically the mermaids can kind of choose you and make you one of their own so yes so she goes okay. on yeah, so she kind of goes on, and basically she knows from her ability to talk with the mermaids that by Golden Sands Outpost, there's supposed to be, I guess, like a special mermaid place where you can meet with them. So she tries to seek that out. But while she's doing this, she tries to downplay it with her crew to make it look like there's a different reason behind it. So none mm. of the crew really suspects what she's doing. No. And it's interesting that the, the, the island she describes um, doesn't seem to be in game at the moment. Um, I suppose it may, it may have been sort of like um, hidden in the, in the shroud again or taken overtaken by the devil's shroud. But it sounds a much more sort of significant island, do you think? Because she talks about temples and walkways. It um, does, yes. Yeah, and sort of ruins. Um, so it sounds quite sort of quite a large island, but um, quite substantial remains. We'll get into there. that a little bit more when we get to like the ending of the book. But yeah, I mean, when I was reading through this, it instantly made me think of the major DLC Forsaken Shores that's coming. I think that could have something to do with that, possibly. Ah, uh, yes, 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 it so. could be. A lot of people are are sort of suggesting at the moment they think that the the hungering seas might be. Um, mermaids um, I know I've seen um, some sort of posts about that and that would be interesting 
to find out. We don't know, do we? Um, but I think I really like the idea of knowing more about the mermaids um, and more involvement in the in the game. Um, I'm sort of I'm really looking forward to that um, extra involvement. I think. Yeah, definitely. But basically, in terms of her story, um, she talks to the mermaids and basically they try to just brush her off and they seem fearful of whatever this chest is mm. and they don't really even want to engage with her so then that kind of clues her in like wow if the mermaids are even fearful of this chest like what is this thing mm, that's right something really sort of serious um right so yeah basically her plan at that point is to try and maybe sell it to a vendor somewhere like and just get some cash for it but she yes. can't really do that in time based on what happens. Do you want to talk about what happens to them next? Right. So um, let's have a think. This is kind of where they encounter the ships that attack them. Oh, that's right. So they're, they're yes. golden, from Golden Sands. They're planning to go off into the wilds, aren't they? I think um, to a particular sort of island. But before they can sort of get very far, they're, they're fired upon. Because I think Nura loads up their ship with some merchant materials um, so they can sail off. But I think they're, they're fired upon by one ship and then they're boarded by Cole and his companions, aren't they? Is that right? Or have I got the wrong um, place? It actually describes two ships that attack them. But yes, yeah. they basically pull some maneuvers off where they employ an anchor turn and they dispatch, right. they dispatch the first ship and then... Cole is said to be like part of that second ship, I guess. And basically they end up killing his crew, except for him. But when they're about to kill him, they see him like on the ladder and. That's Bell's right. He to... says he knows about the chest, doesn't he? Right. Yeah. And yeah. Bell's about to kill him. And then he says that and that kind of makes her think. And then they put him in the brig. So they keep yes. him alive and put him in the brig. So Cole is first introduces basically their prison. That's right. Yes. And at this point, it's kind of where she talks about, you know, Cole seems really untrustworthy and I don't know if we can trust him. And basically in the margins, it kind of says, you know, Nura, you can read his story and see what you think. So do you want to talk about Cole says his story is? Yeah. See, I mean, he, he talks about them being employed by a patron and he talks about Flameheart's sort of crew and, you know, old Flameheart been tottering on skeletal feet for quite some years since his final diary entry. Um, and he talks about the twisted knife, which could be a, a, another faction. It could be a secret group. It could be somebody working for... Um, the Order of the Souls, perhaps. Um, they sound very much like assassins. He says what they do is, um, you know, they, they, they go and kill pirates, basically. Um, he, he asks her, has the chest whispered to you yet? If not, it can only be a matter of time. So he obviously knows, or his patron knows a great deal about um, the chest, chest yeah. But we don't know who the patron is. Now, it is strike me that it's is it is it the old woman? Is the old woman the patron? That's just... kinda what I thought when I read mm. it, because I thought it was the same old woman that tried to get Flameheart to do the job originally. Yes. Yes. And yeah, and, and that sort of sort of fits in because it's 
because he because he's quite familiar with Flameheart and Flameheart's crew and um, what they've been doing. And it's this is something that has been sort of going on for hundreds of years, and that the, right. the Order of the Souls are like a timeless, ageless group. Um, you know, company very sort of mystical. Right, definitely. And it basically sounds like this patron just kind of keeps employing people to try and go out to get that chest. Mm. Because it says at one point that they were probably excited that Flameheart found the chest, but then when he lost the chest, you know, it was lost and they didn't know where it was. But then Bell picks it up and it sounds like the patron probably switched approaches at one point because Flameheart is obviously very different than what this Cole and his crew would be because it sounds like originally this patron was trying to send just, you know, a general explorer out to go get the chest. But when they realized that didn't really work, it mm-hmm. sounds like they send it, they actually sought out and hired this twisted knife group, which this twisted knife group seems like their group that just is out for blood. And basically they sent this group to attack Nura and Bell and try yes. to wipe them out. Yes, I mean, it says, it says in here, quite why my patron chose to take the chest from you by force rather than simply engaging in a trade is frankly of little interest to me. So obviously it makes it sound like that, um, you know, that they're not short of money. They will, you know, trade and, and get this chest by any means. But for some reason, I don't know, perhaps time is short or maybe the mer- because the mermaids are involved. I don't know that they... Um, or perhaps they didn't see Bellanura as um, difficult to defeat, perhaps. Um, easy opposition. They sent um, the twisted right. knife in to, to steal it. Yeah. Of course, that didn't work out, though, because they captured Cole. And yes. basically, Cole tries to play it off like, hey, I don't care what you know happens with that anymore. You know, just set me free, you know, let me live my life. You can do what you want. I'll I'll take you to that patron if you want. I'll take you right there. And they kind of don't really trust him, but they trust him enough to actually go to this patron and just kind of end all the, you know, mm. troubles they've had with this chest. So Yeah. So I think in the end, um Bell well, says we're going to find this guy and give him his chest to Flameheart, right. presumably. Um, that's what they're intending to do, isn't it? They're going to give it back to him, I think. Well, they're going to give it to the patron. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to give the chest to the patron and just get some money for it and kind of end all this because they realize it seems like Belle is really conflicted because she doesn't trust Cole, but she also knows that Cole is probably telling the truth that more and more Twisted Knife ships are going to come after them if they don't give her the chest. Yes, it's not going to... End very well. So some rich cow is sending suckers like Faintheart out on a fool's errand to bring home a cursed chest. Right. Mm. So she wants to see how much they can get out of them. But but almost straight away, um, we get we get the Kraken appearing yes. on the scene, don't we? Yeah, the chest basically whispers, and it's heavily implied, if not stated, that basically this chest calls out to a Kraken. And it brings the Kraken on your ship. Yeah. I mean, yes. I think it's almost like 95% chance that's what the chest does. But it doesn't specifically say it. But I think it's pretty evident. 
no it's not i think later on when they're sort of musing over um what what the chest was um people that uh, bella's talked to say well you know it's it's a cursed chest and it caused the kraken right um and yes we we, we don't know so again that's something because the cursed this cursed chest itself is in the game at the moment we do have cursed chests if this appears or something similar appears in the game okay um we won't know exactly what it's going to do will we does it call the kraken or was that something else was that just a coincidence right i kind of feel like it will and if it appears in game that's how i'm going to treat it after reading this but <laughs> i guess we'll find out so think so but i feel like in terms of this coming into game i feel like how it would be introduced into game is i think a new trading company would come from the twisted knife and the chest would come with that i think that's kind of how that will be employed but we'll, we'll see how it happens i guess yes and and captain bones presumably as well maybe right. it'll be part of because we've got these you know these weekly events are coming up and we've got these big um sort of dlcs haven't we so there's this and, and i think mike chapman has always said that the world is going to be changing it's not going to be a static world um when you go to sort of some of these trades and i think particularly the order of the soul she says you know come back quick i might not be here when you get back right so I, I, there will be sort of trading companies coming and going and people coming and going much like the players will um, come and go I think um, throughout the world so it, it's, it's changing and yeah I think the twisted knife the smugglers even um, that they talk about in the book um, could make an appearance um, no definitely I mean I think that could come as well but basically getting in line with like the rest of her story their ship mm. does sink from the kraken she basically thinks it's, you know, a really good idea to actually attack the Kraken instead of run away from it. And that does not end out well for her. But No, I think possibly probably because the the power of the chest. She says, was the chest itself right. calling out to it like a Kraken whistle? That would be a crazy right. prize for some rich idiot's mantelpiece. So, yes, she had a theory that she was going to jump in and lure it away from the ship. Um, but because it heard the chest cry or call out the kraken destroyed their ship didn't it right but essentially at that point in the story their ship is gone you know it's destroyed mm. the chest wherever it was sunk to the bottom of the ocean again so that chest is still presumably out there again yes and basically what happens next is throughout this time it there's little subtle hints that cole is getting really close to jean the cook Mm. And basically, these hints come to a forefront because what happens is uh, Gene, the cook, he makes a dinner for them. And in this dinner, it, there's poison. So basically, yes. the crew gets poisoned. And then when Belle and Nora wake up, Cole has had his men, you know, kind of jump them and they're basically captives. Yes. Yeah. So as she says, it's it's a mutiny. It's a mutiny. So Cole just right. is there to take over the, the the ship and make the best of a a bad job, I suppose. At the end of the day, because he's lost the chest, he probably can't go back to his patron. Um, 
which little clues of like this being a mutiny are also given beforehand as well because mm. we have to remember that Belle, she lied to the crew about the chest and she never really told anyone her intentions. So it no. seems like the crew lost trust in her when they didn't when she didn't actually convey her intentions with it. Yes, and there's a big sort of a big quite a big theme through sort of Belle's whole story, isn't there, about the importance of sort of a a crew and the trust of your crew and proving yourself right. a capable captain um and, and that's extremely important isn't it so obviously by sort of bringing this chest aboard and not sort of being straight with the crew they they were uh, sort of losing their trust in her as a leader perhaps um yes yeah definitely and basically from that point it's a pretty sad tale because Belle gets locked in the captain's cabin and she has to listen while the crewmates were actually like on her side. They just are forced to walk the plank and she just listens mm. to them drowning. Yes. Yeah. And, and then eventually they make her listen to Nora being murdered. Yes. And then you get this sort of you know, absolute sort of fury, this, this sort of anger. Um, and and determination to um, have her revenge because obviously we we know about the ferry they know about the ferry that um, death isn't um, you know one way trip it's not not a permanent thing that they will come back and and then later on or sort of alongside that knowledge you have um, Jean um, saying things like well we know when you come back you know <laughs> I mean, you're going to sort of get your revenge on on this guy Cole, and he's going to, going to regret everything he did. Um, right. And that's that's sort of the last point of the story is that very last letter, isn't it, from from Jean? Yeah, basically the end of the story is essentially Jean kind of trying to apologize to Bell, and he's basically saying, you know. They tricked me. I didn't really understand what was going on, which as a reader, I kind of believed him because it seems like he was the type that is very easy to trick. And it also says that he was sort of threatened and blackmailed that if he didn't go along with it, then they would have killed him and killed Bell. That's right. Yeah. It's called Good Riddance to Bad Rubbish, isn't it? The very last letter, yes. which is... Uh, and, it's, and it is a happy ending because he comes back on. He says, I, I watched you dragging Cole to your cabin by his hair after kicking the stuffing out of him. And then I saw you walk back out of your cabin with Nura, both home at last. So. Right. Yeah. And basically a little bit before he gets that, too, I'll just mention quick that mm. he does have some recipes and songs, which are kind of funny, you know to see his like, yes. writing of the re recipes and songs but yes oh yes because the last part of the books we got the words to sort of bosun bill and grog mails right. and and also we shall say to sail together um but yes he's he's still i think he's probably not too smart but um he's loyal um to bell and nura and Glad to definitely. see them back, I think, at the end. Yeah, definitely. And basically, they come back and get their revenge on Cole. But kind of the unanswered question at the end is, 
what happened to Flameheart originally and what happened to this chest. So that's kind of yes. like the big unanswered void that we're left with. Yeah, so the chest is still out there. It is. <laughs> out there somewhere. Um, waiting to be found. Yes, indeed. And the patron, presumably, still yes. looking for it. But that's kind of like the big overview of the entire story. I mean, I did write down some things that we can kind of get into a little bit more with the lore itself, just mm -hmm. going a little bit deeper into those. So it does talk a lot about what the devil shroud is. And yes. basically it's, it's kind of an explanation for the phenomena at the edge of the map. So it's described as a mist in the book, like we said, but for mm. us in the game, it's like a red sea sort of. So it's yes. a little bit of a difference there. Yes. But it's, I think the most interesting thing about the shroud is it's said to be moving and changing because at the point where Belle is at Golden Sands Outpost talking to the mermaids, she says that the spot, like the island that she's talking to them at, it, mm. she says that she sees a mist coming. And it's basically kind of given as a clue that like the shroud took over that island. And you can yeah. no longer get to that island right now. So I think that's why we don't see that island in the game, because the shroud is covering at the moment. Yes, and I think she also goes on to say, to describe another island, and she says it's only just recently broken free of the shroud. Right. I don't know if that's if she's talking about the shores of plenty. I can't quite remember, but... Yeah, she did um, mention definitely, that. Yeah. yeah, definitely brings it up, which, which is really a great premise for... Um, our world, our game world, changing, isn't it? New, new right. sort of areas being added, and also, um, you know, think perhaps parts of it being lost, even. So, but right. but but change, um, I think, which is a great way to add variety to a, a sailing a pirate video game, isn't well, it? Well, it's really cool uh, that they built this into the lore too, because yeah. it kind of explains a lot for us as players because. The ancient isles and the wilds, they have a lot more, like, I guess, human involvement on those islands. But the shores yeah. of plenty, since, like, as she says, it just recently came out of the shroud, mm -hmm. less humans have been to the shores of plenty. So that's why you see less, like, artifacts and things there. Whereas, yeah, so like, you the don't, ancient yeah, isles, you right. see a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, so the cave painting. So the ancient isles, presumably, then from that, were the first. Right, and then the wilds, um, probably second, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And then Shores are Plenty, much newer. Yes, I think that works, doesn't it? So I'm just trying to think of where the the altars are, you know, the animals, the sunstones, um, and all, all the, the caves with the artifacts in. And they are all around that sort of corner-ish area, bottom of the map. Yes, I, I mean... It... Yeah. Whatever was at the Asian Isles was definitely there for a long time. So yeah. that is definitely where the Sea of Thieves seem to have originated, essentially. So it makes you wonder then, doesn't it? If Because these they, they worship bird gods and boar gods and they had some sort of rapport going with the mermaids. Is that how the Sea of Thieves originated? Is it some sort of ancient magic? Is it, you know, the original home of the mermaids that they've created to protect themselves perhaps and that we've stumbled across by accident you know as as yeah it could be explorers and sailors you know sort of uh, lends itself to a lot of sort of speculation i think well i think what they built in with this devil shroud too 
I think it builds in a great tactic for Rare to convincingly allow more maps in the future and stuff. And I think yes. how whatever Forsaken Shores is, I think this is kind of how it's going to tie into the lore. I basically, I think it's going to be like, you know, okay, um, whatever islands are, the Shroud has now uncovered them. You can get to these islands now. I think that's yes. kind of how it's going to come about. Yes, I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's supposed to be a very treacherous part of the world, isn't it? Um, it is, I think yes. that's how it was described in the um, in the podcast. So, yeah, I wonder, I wonder which part of the world it's going to be in. I was having a look at the map the other day, and there's a little bit of a gap down by the bottom of the ancient isles in the southeast of the map, but also up in the northwest. Um, no, got that the other way around. Northeast, northeast, southwest. I think there are two gaps potentially maybe yeah i mean and maybe that's where it's going to come so that'd be very interesting if that does come about like that we'll be a little bit of a time to wait till that happens but it's definitely exciting to think about though after reading this especially yes yes that's right but one of the other areas that kind of like describes the mechanics of the lore we mm -hmm. talked about a little bit earlier the fairy of the damned and how they deal with death it's yes. described a lot in this book how it actually ties into lore. Yes. I know we had a short passage picked out. If you want to read that little passage real quick. Yeah, I'll read that one. Um, so it's Bell um, describing. Um, so they say that death used to be just death. A one-way trip. No ferry, no way back. Just lost forever in that place. And then the captain came with his ghost ship and his door and gave us all a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance. Maybe one time there'll be no more chances. Or maybe there will come a time where you say to yourself that you're just going to stay, because it's easier, or because it's your time, like you're old enough, and have lived your life. But knowing that we can always come back from there to continue and learn from our mistakes, is a lot of what makes us stronger as people. If you do learn, that is. Some idiots just don't. And even if they crawl their way back, they're just no good to me and this crew. And that's, yeah, I, I, I like that a lot. Um, yeah, same here. And just that passage alone, I think, is a great passage to tell about how the mechanic works. Because just as it says in the start of it, like, dead used to mean dead in CFDs. Like, he, mm. there was no coming back from it. But it sounds like at some point, the fairy captain started saving souls and allowing them to come back to life. Yes, that's right. And it's, I mean, it's got, it's got a lot of parallels, hasn't it, in um, sort of other legends and, and myths, you know, sort of Greek legends and myths, um, being able to sort of come back across sort of the river sticks and what have you. And, and also it makes that sort of magical thing that happens in games, like being resurrected or respawned, um, plausible within the world of Sea of Thieves, um, within the way how, how things work within that world. And it's it's also very nice that you have that little sort of philosophical thing about, you know, you, you get the chance to learn from something you did wrong and do it differently when you come back. Yeah, definitely. I mean... I think it's very interesting how they designed this and 
it's really cool because a lot of games don't actually explain that lore. They just be like, oh, yeah, you just came back, you know, but yeah, it actually explains <laughs> how it ties into the world, which is very cool. Yeah. And, and makes sense. And, you, and again, you've got that that uncertainty, which, which you have sort of all, all the way around with sort of Sea of Thieves, that it may not be there all the time. <laughs> it might disappear right. one day. <laughs> You'll be dead. <laughs> That'll be it. That would suck, but <laughs> I guess we'll find out. It would, it would. Big time, I think. But, but yes. yeah, just touching on a little more, basically, it says that the fairy captain, he rescues souls from the Sea of the Damned, mm. and he heals you on the ship before you're coming back to life. But it does kind of make a mention of what was, like, I think the canceled death tax, where you had to bargain your way back to life, but fortunately, yeah. Rare canceled that, so... Yeah, I don't. I, think that I was know they, they. Yeah, they did say that um, you might, or that they were thinking of, or it has been mentioned that you might have to do something for the the captain of the, the ferry of the right. damned. Yeah, so so not necessarily sail, um, sail pay, not necessarily pay him, um, but do a task for him, or perhaps you know he could give you a map, he could give you a riddle, he could give you something to do. You could beat him at dice or you know something um i don't know whether it was the death tax i don't know whether it would um be just the death death tax i always had the impression it was going to be a little bit more than just just handing over some coins but um you could you could well be right there but i like the idea also that he's a bit of a mystery where did he come from yeah the captain is where he came from but we do know that um Bell's father, I think, um, talked to the crew of the Ferry of the Damned, um, she mentions, so and almost became one of them. So there is a, a chance or a possibility of interacting with the ghost captain at some point, perhaps. Which would be very cool. But... <laughs> Which would be very cool indeed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it also leaves room for... A lot of players would probably read this portion and think, okay, well, how does that explain the skeletons? But it actually goes as far as to explain how skeletons are there, too, because basically how it looks is the captain can't actually save everyone. So the skeletons are basically souls that didn't make it back and they found some bones and they kind of inhabited those bones. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's also lovely how they talk about ghosts. Ghosts can come back because they, you know, they have a connection with people who are still in the world, um, but they're harmless and they sort of sort of float around. They're just like echoes, um, just like lost souls um, wandering about the world. And something else sort of occurred to me here, this, this choice about whether you come back from the Ferry of the Damned if you're a player, perhaps, who's disappeared out of the world, who's moved on to another game, or um, you know doesn't doesn't play Sea of Thieves anymore, then you could be one of those who chose not to return from the ferry. In theory, yeah, I guess in theory you could do that. I mean, who knows how they're going to do it long term? But it definitely allows for a lot of possibilities. I would say, mm. but we can kind of get into one of the other like big discoveries that they had. I mean, we talked a little bit about it as we went through the story, but 
this cursed chest. Basically, it seems like it's very valuable, and mm. it seems like there's a benefactor that hires people to hunt for it. Mm. And what's interesting as you read through the story is it seems like the chest is safe on land, but when you're in the water, it seems like it calls out to the Kraken to come try to kill you. So, And then right. yes. it also says that the chest's uh, contents are unknown, and it can be heard speaking and it has like a face on it that seems to shift. And at the very end of the book, there's like actually a picture of what it's supposed to possibly look like. Yes. Yes. Now we've seen that before somewhere. Um, I don't know if it's in the art. It must be in the art book as well, but also probably some early concept art that was released, I think. Yeah, it's definitely very cool. I mean, I definitely yeah. want to find this chest when it comes into play. So, <laughs> Yes. Yeah. That's going to be very I think if event. they do bring this into play, though, they Rare will have to make some tweaks to the Kraken because as of right now, if it does call the Kraken to you, no one's really afraid of the Kraken. But no. So I, I think they'll have to make it a little bit more difficult to face the Kraken if this does come into play. Yes, no, I agree. I mean, I haven't, I haven't encountered the Kraken, but from... From the feedback I've seen and um, sort of heard people say about it, it's it's not a huge challenge at the moment, and it's it's missing some rather vital parts, isn't it? It's um, right the inky blackness and um, just his his tentacles um, sort of floating above the surface. Um, so yes, it, it will be very interesting to see what the purpose of the chest is, whether it is a Kraken calling chest or whether it does something else and whether it's going to feature later on in yeah, the game. Definitely. Mm. I'm definitely excited to find out. Though. Yes. I mean, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because it, uh, it's very easy to sort of speculate about um, sort of things that could be in the game and think the way that Rare could do things. But like throughout like the last couple of years they they've they've always done things in ways that have been surprising and slightly different um to how you might have imagined um so we've got things like the brig for instance and being able to shoot yourself out of a cannon um so they've, they've definitely got their their way of giving a surprise and delight i think they call it um, which is fantastic. So I, I wouldn't want to assume anything about how this chest is going to reappear um, in the game. <laughs> I think it could be quite um, an exciting or surprising um, way of way of happening, I think. Yeah, it could even come about with like the weekly events that are planned. So maybe one of those that comes about. Yeah, yeah. It could do. But one of the other aspects we mentioned a little bit is sort of some new trading companies that are kind of like teased as a possibility in this book. Mm. Um, it's never outright confirmed, but it definitely seems like the Twisted Knife could be a trading company in the future because basically as Cole describes it, their focus is hunting down other pirates uh, in mm. like kind of a PvP aspect. And it seems like there could possibly be a trading company in the future where it's PvP focused, where you might have like a contract, okay, go take out, you know, X amount of ships, or you actually have to go take out someone to get a specific item and bring it back to like the yes. trading company person. Or even 
you know, because a, a lot of the talk has been around um, bounties for wanted pirates. People have been wanting to be wanted pirates. Right. So perhaps you, you do the opposite. You go and submit a name to the Twisted Knife. Um, then they will create a bounty for you, which, which somebody else would, would pick up um, to go and hunt this particular pirate. Although it's, it's difficult to see how that would work, given the way that the, the servers and the matchmaking is organized. Um, I'm not sure how they would... You'd be able to yeah, do I'm not that sure unless they were on your server. Aspect. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I mean, you're not going to have everyone on your server, so no, I, especially I think it'd be as it's merged it as well. Way. Right. Yeah. I mean, the other one that that, that I, th I thought quite strongly about was because when Bell goes to they go to Smuggler's Bay, don't they? They go to Smuggler's Bay right. to do some shopping, um, and she talks about sort of hating the smugglers because they ruffled her hair or some such, but. Um, the smuggler is supposed to be a, sort of a faction that you can sell unwanted merchants' goods to. Um, so that that's another possibility, isn't it? I think. Yeah, uh, definitely. I can definitely see that being a possibility. Mm. Yeah. And then, kind of, we talked about it as well a little bit earlier, but the merfolk and mermaids. It kind of like goes into a little bit more depth about them. Basically, yeah. as we know it right now in game, the merfolk and mermaids. Basically, they just save our ships and mm. or not save our ships, but save pirates that are in the water and bring them back to their ship. But yes. it's kind of said in the book that these are supposedly the like less intelligent merfolk out of the whole community. That's and right. And basically, it seems like they're just relegated to that role because that's all they can do. That's right. I'd forgotten about that. Yes, it does say that, doesn't it? Yeah. And but it was but it, I I just love how it talks about. Um, you know, meeting places for mermaids and that there are, um, you know, there are sort of conclaves of them and you can hear them singing and we can hear sort of voices or mermaid music already um, when you're sort of swimming about in the game in certain places. And um, I'm sort of really excited to see and hear more about um, the mermaids and uh, what they get up to, why they're there, what what their purpose is, what, what they what they're going to do. And Belle has this pair of earrings, doesn't she, that she discovered while she was doing a diving competition that her dad organized, I think, um, that enabled her to go down and, and speak to the mermaids. I think a special um set of earrings she found. Yeah, I mean she found the set of earrings that allows her to talk to them. So mm. I think that could be potentially an in-game item at some point where mm. maybe we can actually talk to the mermaids more in depth because we can talk to the NPCs right now. So maybe if you find these earrings or you purchase them, you can actually have a conversation with the merfolk. Yes. Yes. And because we've got these uncharted islands now, haven't we, with um, these, these sort of great underwater sort of tunnels and caverns and um, wrecks and little bits of temple sort of architecture. Um you know, that would be a, a, a good sort of mermaid zone, wouldn't it, as well? Or, or a place for, like you say, for finding these little bits of treasure that allow you to interact with the mermaids. Yeah, definitely. And it kind of goes into detail when they talk about the Golden Sands portion of the story. And it tells that, like, there's little underwater meeting areas for these mermaids. So mm. maybe, like, there's going to be ways in game that we can actually meet them underwater in these little... I guess, meeting areas or the specific island or something. So that's yes. the area she's do. 
I mean, one 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 place that, that sort of suggests that already that you've got um, there's Mermaid's Hideaway, um, right. which obviously mermaids straight Definitely. away. You've got and you've got the the pond in the middle there, and if you swim down and underneath, there's a sort of a lot of chambers, um, and there's places where you can rise up, and and there's a cave, and you can come out to the other side of the island. But it, you know, it's full of corals and sea plants and uh, little bits of flotsam, and then also on Shark Bait Cove, I think, because where the, where the fish is in the centre of the island, there's a sort of tall column of rock in the water, and if you swim around that, you can hear sort of mermaids, mermaids song, I suppose you'd call it, but uh, music of singing, right. and that's got also access to the outer um, sort of see through um, a channel, I think you can get to but both of those would be fantastic places wouldn't they for encountering some sort of mermaid yeah definitely and like you said it sounds like that the hungering deep could potentially be mermaids so maybe Mm. we'll be finding out about that really soon that's right yeah yes not long i think it this book definitely has a lot of content in there that you can kind of speculate on and we'll have to see what they actually do with it but i think between, you know, the merfolk, between this cursed chest, between, like, how it talks about how the fairy was actually conceived and mm. maybe this twisted knife group. I mean, there's definitely so much content that could be coming, you know, that's already teased in this book. Yes, yes, exactly that. I mean, it's it's a fantastic handbook, isn't it, um, as an accompaniment to sort of playing the game. It doesn't go into too much depth, Um it tells you sort of just enough, but teases more, doesn't it, to come, I think. I agree. And I did have one last passage to share before we actually um, end talking about the book. But this is a passage that I was kind of surprised to find when I read the book. And I was just reading along and you were actually name dropped in this book. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Nobody was more surprised than me, I can assure yeah. you. <laughs> Gobsmacked, I think, will be the word. <laughs> no, it's actually part of um, Captain Bell's journey. It's on day seven of her journey. And basically it talks about their first shipwreck they found. Mm-hmm. But I will kind of go into detail of what the passage says. So I'll just go into that. So the passage states, so that first wreck wasn't really a wreck after all. I mean, it was certainly a big mass, but we found out that it belonged to Captain Truewalker. After she found us going through her things and blowing the dust off it all, after putting her things on and working to clean the spots off, useless pieces of paper with stones by the shore. They were her treasure maps or some big secrets, eh? We did get them clean, though. Probably the first time my dad ended up dropping by the sea of the dam. Yeah, he didn't even pretend to like it at that time. Him and your dad, no, wait, your mum, right? You said, your dad said no. So they had to go down and explain everything to True Walker. Like, oh, yes, it was all a mistake, you see. Sorry, I'm just laughing here. It was all a mistake, Captain. Our daughters thought your ship was a wreck, you see. Our daughters did, and oops, dead. <laughs> <laughs> so that's very funny. That, I mean, I mean that's that, it's brilliant. I mean, just yeah, to see my pirate name in type first of all in a book <laughs> that, that's going to be published. But um, I I couldn't have wanted anything more more perfect because it's you know I've got a shipwreck. I'm surrounded by maps, books, um, 
you know bits of paper bits of law um yeah it's just it's, yeah. it's just brilliant you know it's perfect and you sounded very angry that a couple of little girls touch yourself and i would <laughs> yes that's right especially we did get these things clean now so scrubbed off my mats but uh yeah and shoot shooting yes. the guy yeah definitely do that <laughs> but yeah Yes, yeah. oh, that just... no, I thought that would be interesting to read and you know share with the listeners in case you haven't found it yet. But it, it was definitely cool to see that. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool indeed, and yeah, you know, all credit to the other members of the community who are, who are also in the book as well. And their definitely, tales yeah. are told. There's so. definitely a lot of drops everywhere. I mean, yeah. especially some of those pirate stories that are listed earlier, like you said. You know, yeah. there's definitely some shout outs in there that community members have actually written. So yeah. Well, yeah, I think we pretty much covered the entirety of the book. I mean, do you have anything else you want to add about it? I don't. No, I don't. I think we've gone through it fairly thoroughly with a fine tooth comb. I think we have. So covered most of the points. So that's pretty much all we have to say about the book. But if you haven't read it yet, definitely go out and read it. I mean, even though we went through it with a fine tooth tome, um, I think it's definitely worth reading because you can kind of get a feel for the world more even if you play the game a lot i think it's definitely worth a read yeah agree but if people want to find you or contact you and find out more about your story or background or talk to you more about the lore book how can they do that i'm on the forums <laughs> and i'm on twitter as well um so just yeah drop me a pm um send me a message and i'll get back to you i'm happy to answer anything um welcome and as for me if you want to contact me you can either do so at our fairly new email the blaze experience at gmail.com or you can find the podcast on twitter at blaze experience and we also have a new discord as well that will be in the show notes if you want to listen to the podcast then the way to do so is via radio public radio public is a free app and basically what it does is It helps podcasters and helps support them. It's available on iOS, Android, and it's available in all countries. It's also, of course, available on Apple Podcasts and other podcast directories. So if you do listen on those, just give us some feedback, you know, and leave a review. But those are the main ways to find us. I definitely want to thank you for coming on for this, Cat True Walker. I mean, it was definitely great to talk to you and... I think we've had a great time talking about the Sea of Thieves lore book. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for asking me. Um, Yeah, loved it. Thank you very much. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. And it's definitely been fun to talk to you. So maybe we can do it again sometime. I hope so. Yeah, take care. (laughs) But thank you to you, the listener, as well for listening. And hopefully you enjoy this episode and we will see you soon. So thank you. Thank you.